little backstory on my household. My grandfather built the house roughly 50 to 60 years ago, and it's been in the family since. It's a one-story, pretty basic house, but it's home. Anyway, I'm 18 and a guy. Not really important to this, but just so you know. Two months ago, we were getting ready to go on our yearly two-week trip to the UK. We live in Ireland, and I'm Irish, but my mom's English, so we go and visit family every year. While preparing to go to the UK, my mom's set of keys, which have everything on them, went missing. The house keys, car keys, shed, family friend's house keys, and keys to open the windows. I've never understood why locks are on the outside of the windows, too, honestly. Anyway, so we searched high and low, but weren't able to locate them. Luckily, my mom had spare keys lying around, so we just made a new set. Five people live in the house, my mom, me, my sister, and our nieces. My bedroom is at the front of the house, so I can see the car and the front door easily. And so this is where things start to go strange. A few nights before we were going to the UK, I heard the car unlocking and locking again, over and over. This was at like 2am, mind you. I'm a night owl and was playing Horizon Zero Dawn on my PS4. Confused, I went to my window and saw no one. So I went back to my PlayStation, but it continued again for another 5 minutes. Shaken, I saved my progress and went to go to bed, but I texted my mom first. She didn't believe me and said it was because I was awake so late playing video games. Right. She wasn't concerned for some reason, despite someone clearly having taken the keys because the only way someone could unlock and lock the car repeatedly without being seen would be with the key with the buttons on it, which was one of the keys that went missing. The following morning, I woke up at 3am and because my dogs were growling at my feet. Confused but more groggy and annoyed they'd woken me up, I told them to shut up and stop but that was until I heard someone walking around the side of the house. Absolute chills ran up and down my spine as the walking stopped when the person heard my voice. I don't have an indoor voice and basically yelled at the dogs by accident. I don't like being woken up. I sat up and glanced up at my window, which was curtainless because I was replacing the curtain pole at the moment and didn't have it finished or up yet. So the darkness was just falling into my room. The outside porch light was on so I could see the car, but whoever this was was on the other side of the wall behind my head. This continued until Sunday. Nothing happened that night, and when we went on holiday, the house minder didn't report anything. Family friends stayed over until a death in their family made them leave, so my sister came home from her boyfriend's to mind the house till we were home. She didn't report anything weird happening either, so the weird 2-3am to 3 mishappens faded from my mind, until a few nights ago when everything ramped up again. 4am, my dogs were barking, growling at the end of my bed again, and I groaned trying to sleep. But I noticed there was more light shining in my window, so I sat up rather tired and frozen. The front door was wide open, my mom always locks it and my sister was asleep in her room, everyone was asleep. Terror washed down over me. I have a huge fear of being burgled. I have really bad anxiety issues and this almost made me have a severe panic attack as I contemplated what to do next. Clicking my spaniel's leash to his harness, I edged from my room, through the hall and kitchen and into the living room. We have automatic lights now so if you talk to the Google companion thing, it should turn on the lights. But the Wi-Fi was out, so was the power. Oh man. I started shaking because I realized how dark it was. 
My spaniel was a wuss, but I brought him out for moral support, basically. But the second I heard the front door, he started growling. The porch light is one of those lights that isn't connected to the main house, so it turns on by itself. Same with the other porch one. So the only way those lights were on is if someone moved near the sensors. I rushed to lock the front doors. Did a small anxiety nervous dance jump I do when I feel like I'm a throw up from nerves. I quickly ran across the house into the washroom where our power box was and it was switched off. Everything was. So I flicked all the switches back on and scurried to my room, basically dragging my on-edge dog with me everywhere. When I went into my room, I sat down on my bed and curled up in a ball, anxiety pains in my stomach, but my blood ran cold the second I heard soft taps on my window. Tap, tap, tap. The last tap was louder than the others and I froze. The tapping continued and whoever it was scraped clearly the keys on my window. It hasn't happened since, but I've been so anxious after arriving home from work each night that I'll meet someone outside my home. This was only three nights ago. My mom won't change the locks at all, and this is continuing. What do I do? A few years back, when I was either a sophomore or freshman in high school, I didn't have Wi-Fi in my household, so I would walk down a few blocks to the local library, after hours, and watch YouTube videos until I was all caught up with my subscriptions. Usually I'd be there from 10pm to 1am. After I was done, I'd leave and walk home. However, this night was a very different occurrence. As a very suspicious person and one who believes in the paranormal, I am susceptible to late night paranoia. On this night, I was midway through a video when I felt, more than I heard, this booming bark. Initially terrified, I peeked around the corner of the library entrance for the source. Nothing was in sight, and this wasn't the bark of a normal dog. All bass, no treble, and it felt different. At this point, every single dog in the neighborhood erupted into a barking fit that lasted for about five minutes. Being terrified as I was, I ran across the street and barred myself behind a door leading to an apartment. I waited there with my handy knife at the ready for 20 minutes. I had planned to wait till dawn, but I just wanted to get home. So as I ran home, the barking of the dog seemed like it was following me. In my heart of hearts, I truly believe I had a close encounter with a hellhound. Safe to say, I paid for my own internet from that point on. When I was in my early teens, I had a fascination with divination, the occult, and spiritualism. Basically anything to offer some sort of proof that there is more to this reality than what we believe. This all started in the early 90s when I saw a Ouija board for sale in our local small town grocery store. Needless to say, I bought it. I couldn't believe they actually sold these kinds of games. Mind you, I lived in a small town and grew up disconnected from a lot of the pop culture staples of that era. I would play the board often, mostly with my stepbrother Dan and stepsister Holly when they came to visit during the summer months and over the holidays. Both of them were considerably younger than myself, me being no older than 13 at the time. The board became an obsession of mine, even though over 95% of the time nothing would happen, 
or when it did move, we would receive short nondescript messages. On one cold winter day, this was about to change. My siblings and I retreated upstairs in an attempt to play the board. We lit the usual candles and killed the lights. After a few attempts to summon a spirit, the planchette started to move. This time, it felt different. It glided with ease around the board and answered simple yes and no questions with great finesse. In disbelief, we took our fingers off the planchette. The moment we did so, the flame on the candle began to shrink dramatically. We quickly placed our fingers back on the planchette and the flame immediately came back to life. We then asked, Where in the room are you? The pointer spelled out, K-I-T-E, Kite. We sat there confused for a moment until we realized that I had a kite mounted to the ceiling above our heads. At this moment, the kite began to flutter as if there was a slight breeze. We lived in a log cabin that did not have central air. There were no fans running so this was quite odd. We continued playing and decided to ask, We'd like to know our spirit guide's name. A very new agey question as I look back, so I asked, What is my guide's name? The board spelled out A-R-T-H-U-R, Arthur. Dan asked for the name of his guide and the board lettered out B-R-E-T, Brett. And finally, Holly asked hers and the board replied G-A-R-E-T-H, Gareth. We were all kind of shocked with the results and discontinued playing to go downstairs and tell my mother the information we just received. After doing so, she replied, I don't know, look the names up in the dictionary. At the time, we thought this was pretty unhelpful advice, but reluctantly did. A dictionary probably isn't the best resource for looking up names, but this is before the internet, so I grabbed the dictionary off the shelf and began flipping through the pages. Searching the name, Brett came up with a few uninteresting results. Next, I looked up Arthur. Not surprisingly, King Arthur, along with maybe a few other Arthurs, were on the list. I then proceeded to look up Gareth. When I did so, my jaw hit the floor. Gareth was King Arthur's nephew. I was completely dumbfounded. I knew at this point that the names we received probably weren't the actual names of our spirit guides. These were purposely crafted by something with a full awareness that we could or would look them up, draw a connection between the two. Now, Before you go and assume my stepbrother and or sister pushed the planchette, keep this in mind. Dan has always had a learning disability. Even today, he still has difficulty spelling and uses voice to text because of it. I am 100% confident he couldn't have moved it. I am also 100% confident that neither of them at the time were well versed in the genealogy of Arthurian mythology. I have observed this with a skeptical point of view since the day it happened. This still remains as one of the few times the board actually moved, more or less provided with legible specific details. To this day, at the age of 39, I remain convinced that what we received was not from us, but from somewhere else, something that I believe knew full well that my mother was going to tell me to look it up. Before I tell you, the story here is some backstory of my family. We are Catholics, but none of us are super religious and none of us were praying before bed except me. When the story happened, I was eight 
and the only way I learned about my religion was through holiday traditions. So when I was younger, I used to have an imaginary friend. I was maybe too old for imaginary friends, but I was an only child and didn't have a lot of friends to play with. When we moved to a new house, I got another friend. My new friend was a girl, and her name for this story, let's say, was Mary. None of my other imaginary friends had names, and her name was the same as my middle name. You would think that I was the one who named her since she had my middle name and I was eight, but I didn't name any of my toys, teddies, or imaginary friends, so she was weird for the start. She was also a little older than me and she had a weird obsession with my mother. Mary would only appear when I was home and she never left my room. After a while, Mary got more aggressive and I remember not wanting to play with her. Mary would scream at me and say stuff like, your mother is not your real mother, and I will have your mother. I would often run to my mother, scared of her, but my mother reassured me that it was all in my head. After we moved again, I never heard from Mary, and I never wanted to talk to her again. Some years later, I was talking to my grandma, and I asked her about my middle name. She said my middle name should not be used in a bad way. Mary was the name I was baptized with. She said Mary should be used when I'm in church or talking to God. She told me also about my mother who had a baby with another man two years before she met my father. My mother was not married so the baby had a bad start on life in the name of God. The baby lived for only four days and they named this baby Mary. I'm not really a religious person these days, but I felt compelled to write this story on here because I walked past the place. All this happened yesterday and felt other people should know about the unexplainable event I was put through. Before we begin, I need to explain some things. I was about 17 years old when this all happened. I was involved in a religious group that called themselves Christians. The group was more of a cult. The leader of the group was a woman and the majority of the people in the team were her children. The other six of us that weren't related to her were just high school kids that were looped into their team. I know, I know, this team was definitely a cult, but I promise that isn't even the scariest part of the story. Let's call the leader of this team, Mary. It was a cold winter evening when Mary called the whole team to meet over Facebook Instant Messenger, which was pretty normal. We all felt obligated to respond to her request because she would always assure us that she could speak to God and knew what he wanted. So here we were all meeting at her house as usual, which was a Victorian-style home in the middle of a country town in Idaho. She told us that she had some exciting news, that the city was going to let us rent the old town's high school for meetings. I would be lying if I said I wasn't actually excited to hear this, but upon us all arriving to the old building, my face went white. The old building was huge, with tall oak trees lining its perimeter and lifeless ivy vines crawling over the red-bricked building. She then explained to us that we needed to bless the new building if we're going to be using it for God's work. With Mary turning the keys and opening the overly tall door, all twelve of us were met with colder air than what was outside and the smell of old books. One by one we entered the building and took out our phones for lights. Kevin, one of our older members, went off and found the breaker to turn on all the lights. Honestly, the lighting made the building seem 100% more haunted. 
The lights were all dim and produced many shadows all along the long corridors. Directly in front of the doors were two doors that led into a stage room. The windows of this room were beautiful, almost from the floor to the ceiling with the rounded top. The movie theater style chairs were so old they were made of wood bolted into the floor. Mary gathers us on stage and tells us we will be breaking off into groups of three and praying over the school. I was put into a group with two other guys, Nick and Jesus. All the other groups had adults in them, but ours did not. So as groups began to head out the stage room one by one, my group was the last to go. Like I said at the time of this story, I was religious and so were the guys in my group, so we began to pray over the building saying things like, Anything or anyone not in God's kingdom is not allowed here. As we walked down the Hogwarts-like hallway, the prayers of the other groups grew faint as we all headed into different wings of the school. As we got to the end of the hallway, Nick pointed to a door and said that we haven't prayed over that room yet. So Nick, being the most darling one out of Jesus and I, he flung it open to reveal a staircase. Mary had instilled into us that fears from the devil and how we shouldn't give in to it, so naturally we made our descent. The air grew colder, and surprisingly the basement was lit quite well. The orange streetlights from outside gave the room enough light for us to see this newfound room. It was a kitchen of some sorts, with a long and wide room with tables and chairs, almost like a cafeteria. Suddenly, Jesus slowly walked over the window and said, Oh, look, it's snowing and then that's when I noticed the flies. There were 10 to 20 flies all along the wall with windows, both living and dead on the window ledge. Our prayers stopped and for a split second everything seemed to freeze, the snow falling outside, the other groups walking around upstairs. Me having read the Bible as I was instructed to by Mary and knowing she would say something similar, I said, Lord of the flies, you are not welcome here. Suddenly we all heard a loud falling sound as if though a large chair fell over the wooden floor right above our heads, followed by a blood-curdling scream. I instantly felt a burning sensation on my left arm, and when I looked down, there were these three scratches going down my forearm. Nick, Jesus, and I had looked at my arm with faces of pure terror, and then again, a woman screaming right above our heads. We ran up those stairs and back into the stage room to find another horrifying scene. The team was all circled around a girl named Katie. Katie was on her hands and knees screaming and making a rocking motion with every scream she let out. Mary's face was white and so was Kevin's. She then looked at all of us, including her kids, and told us all to leave the building immediately. We all ran out of the school and about 30 minutes later they brought Katie out sobbing. They explained to us that a demon must have been provoked and then entered the weakest person in the building, that being poor little horse-riding Katie. Mary also used my burning scratches as proof she was being possessed. Needless to say, I stopped going to their meetings, and from what I heard, they continued to have demonic activity in that building until they were forced to leave the school. The sign I saw in the school yesterday said that they were going to repurpose the building, for a child care center. This story takes place in the summer of 2017. My name is John, 
I live in a rural part of Alabama, but choose to work in the city. The drive is about 45 minutes or so depending on traffic, however by the time I pick up my son from the sitter, get dinner and get home, I've been in the car about one and a half hours. My house is surrounded by trees and the neighbors are few and far between. It can be pretty lonely living here, but I enjoy the privacy. One evening I pulled in my driveway and noticed something odd. The doors of my storage shed were wide open. I told my son to sit in the car as I got out to investigate. I didn't see anything missing and closed the doors back. I know the wind had not blown them open because it has two latches you have to open in order to get it open. The next day, I looked around and much to my dismay, two weed eaters along with a few other garden tools were missing. I know I should have contacted the police, but I knew there wasn't much they could do at that point. Throughout the week, I had some time off and decided to tackle some yard work that I needed to get done which included cutting down a medium-sized tree that had grew next to my house. Once I cut it down, it took everything I had to move it to the edge of my property just inside the woods. I planned on cutting it up another day. Fast forward to the next Friday night, I left work at 7pm, picked up my son and we arrived home at 8.30pm. As I pulled in the driveway, my son and I noticed something lying across the driveway. It looked as if though a tree branch had fallen across my driveway. As I drove up to it, I thought to myself, there are no trees over my driveway. Once I looked towards the base of the tree, my heart sank to the bottom of my stomach. It was the tree that I had cut down. I had put it clear on the other side of my property until I could cut it up. I recognized the markings from my chainsaw. I didn't know what to do. My son and I sat there in silence for at least five minutes. I rolled the driver and passenger window down just an inch and listened to hear if anyone was out there. I heard nothing. I then realized in order for me to get in my house, I would have to move the tree. I told my son I was going to get out and move it just enough so we could get past and I could lock the doors. If anything happens, he could use my phone to call the neighbor who lived the closest. I darted out of my car and moved the tree slightly and raced back to the car. I was terrified. Luckily my son was on the ready to unlock the doors for me to get back in. I drove towards my house and we got in safely. I didn't sleep that night. The next day I woke up to find the tree was moved again, this time a few feet behind my car. To this day I am still baffled at who could have done this or what their intentions were next time I will be smarter and call the police. I do have another question that I can't answer. How did someone know where I put the tree after I cut it down? Whoever had done this had to have been watching me. I had put the tree in the woods and that thought alone is enough to keep me up some nights. I live in a town called Casper, Wyoming. I was really young when this happened, maybe seven or so, so I'll try to recount this as accurately as possible. I have four cousins who are all siblings of each other. I'll call them C, L, B, and J. Now, my cousins are unruly to say the least. They kind of do whatever they want and their parents, my aunt and uncle, have a very freestyle way of raising them. This happened a while ago. This was in the house before the last that my family lived in, sorry if that sounds a little strange, which happened to be a relatively short car ride away from my cousin's house. 
My sister and I were playing the Wii in our living room when my dad came downstairs and told us to get our coats on, that our uncle, call him D, needed our help. We all hopped in my dad's truck and started driving. I remember that my little sister and I tried questioning what was going on, but all my dad would say was, none of your business. Because, of course, this was adult business that we children had no business meddling in. So, after a slightly longer drive due to the snow and road conditions, we arrived at my uncle's house and were rushed inside. I immediately sought Elle, who at the time was like my best friend. She seemed fairly shaken up, with tears streaking down her face and her hands shaking. I asked her what was going on, more specifically why our dads were panicking and getting out their guns, and helped her calm down a bit so that I could understand what she was trying to say through her tears. Basically, Elle told me that she and my aunt were cleaning in the living room when her mom looked out of their glass screen door, I don't know why their front door was open, and saw a man standing in the front yard. Apparently, this man was wearing only jeans, a pair of sneakers, and a t-shirt. He had no gloves or coat, which immediately struck my aunt as odd since it was the middle of winter in Wyoming. We can easily get eight inches of snow, and the wind is often brutal, so... Anyone who doesn't have a coat on will freeze to death. He was just standing there, watching them, not really doing anything but that, and after finding that Elle and my aunt had noticed them, smiled. My aunt sent Elle away and pulled out a BB gun from the closet that she was standing next to. Even after pointing a gun at the man standing in her front yard, he kept smiling and didn't move. She wasn't sure of his intentions or if he was going to hurt her kids, and she was scared. Thankfully, my uncle came home and scared him off. Though he didn't actually see the man, my aunt told him that he ran off when my uncle pulled up in his truck, shaken, and they called my dad. My mom, my aunt, my four cousins, my sister, and I all stayed inside while my dad and my uncle assessed the property. Since it was snowing, they could see the places where the man had been standing, but he appeared to have walked up to the house from the street, which had been recently plowed, so there were no footprints. We concluded that our cousins could all come and stay with us in case the man returned, and they went home the next day. I only recently found out a detail from my dad, though, that he and my uncle went back to the house the next morning, only to find fresh footprints around the entire house, apparently stopping at each window. There were no signs of a break-in, and the police did little to help, save for telling them to call back if something like this happens again. This happened to me when I was around 7. For a bit of context, I am now over 21 years old, born and raised in the capital city of Lima, Peru. English is my second language, so even though I'm good enough, it will always be a struggle to make it sound completely natural. After a family meeting, my dad took me, my younger brother, and my cousin, same age as me, to a park so we could all play together before we had to part ways. I'm pretty sure my mom stayed at the party, although the details are a tad fuzzy. What I do know, though, is that at the time my cousin and his family were moving to the U.S., we were really tight back then and many years would pass before we had the chance to ever meet again as fully grown adults. It was kind of a difficult time for both of us. Anyway, my dad took us all to a park close to the house the family meeting was being held at. This part of Lima is really something else, geographically. 
The city as a whole takes a huge 200 meter dip that leads onto a beach down below. Way above the beach is both the park and the rest of the city. If you want to get a more accurate depiction, just look up Costa Verde Lima on Google and you'll see what I mean. It was a summertime sunset. My brother went with my cousin to get an ice cream and I stayed with my dad sitting on a bench, just watching the afternoon fading away. In the distance, however, I saw something. There was a huge black line hovering over the ocean, ominously floating above the horizon sea line. Now at first I remember thinking it was some sort of odd bridge, but it couldn't be. The thing didn't have any pillars or cables that would prevent it from falling down. Not only that, but it didn't lead anywhere or was connected to anything. It was just there. If I had to guess, it was at least four stories tall and could easily have been larger than a kilometer in length. The best way I could possibly describe it is imagine a big black line drawn on MS paint, just a blank spot in the middle of the sky. I was a bit shaken, yet I wasn't running nor screaming. I just stared at it, wondering if it was really there. I never felt I was in danger, just very confused. I asked my dad if he could see it. He told me yeah and replied saying something like, that's so weird. Even as a kid, I knew he was lying. The weirdest part is that I clearly remember some other people looking at the sunset and pointing it out, yet most people weren't. The thing didn't say anything, didn't communicate or do anything. It was just there. Even when we all got in the car, I could still see it. But no one else in my family could, not my brother nor my cousin. We left that day. I couldn't stop thinking about it till I fell asleep. I came back a couple of times to that park until we moved further away from that part of town. Even now as an adult, I sometimes go there, looking for it, wanting to see it once again. I don't know what that was. I love everything weird and paranormal, but at the same time, I'm someone who is into it just for fun. I don't really believe any of it, and that same logic applies to ufology. I used to remember it so vividly, though, so closely, so accurately. Memories faded with time, though. Most of that precious detail is gone. Not unlike a dream, but it wasn't. With loss of memory came doubt. I keep trying to convince myself that it was a hallucination, a trick in my mind, but I know it wasn't. I know it was real. I've never seen a UFO recording or something like this, nor have I ever heard anyone talking about this kind of spacecraft anywhere else. But was it a spacecraft? Could you even record it? I honestly want to hear your thoughts on this one. Has anyone else ever seen something like this? My cousin went on to become a military man is now in Afghanistan, I believe. I brought this up a couple of times before he left again, but I don't recall if he's actually seen it or not. I'm just really eager to hear what he has to say when he comes back. In many ways, my relationship with him kind of faded away like the memories of this event. But thank you all for reading. This story occurred in the fall of 2016. I would say it around November, but honestly I can't remember. I was in the 8th grade when this story took place and I had never had a paranormal encounter. That is, until this night. It was a Friday night and I decided to have a friend over. For the sake of privacy, we will call her Nina. We decided to have a sleepover, like any teenage girl would do, and we ordered a pizza. 
The pizza guy estimated the time to be around an hour and we honestly had nothing else to do so we decided to go for a walk, even though the sun was already setting. The way my neighborhood is set up, there is a steep hill behind my house. It was a heck of a workout but we decided to walk it anyways. To get to this hill there is a little hill with a street light that you have to climb. There are only two street lights on my street so the majority of the area is dark. Trust me, this will come into play later in the story. Nina and I walked about halfway up the hill until I started to complain about how cold it was. It was already dark and it was the middle of fall so it was pretty chilly. Nina agreed but I could tell she was slightly annoyed and we began to walk down the dark hill. I remember how quiet it was that night, almost too quiet especially with my house being surrounded by woods. We passed the first street light when I began to feel uneasy, like we were being watched as cliche as that sounds, but I ignored the feeling, playing it off as I was paranoid and being a baby so we continued to walk. But the feeling didn't leave, in fact it grew stronger. We were around the point of the second street light when I decided to turn around in hopes of satisfaction. Although my feeling of uneasy was quickly explained, in the light of the first street lamp there was a woman, a shadowy woman. You couldn't make any details to her body besides the shape. She was riding a bike, except she was still as could be, watching us walk. This woman's hair was so messy. If you have ever seen the movie Lights Out, she looked like the shadow woman in the movie that came out when the lights went off. Nina hadn't stopped when I did, so I began to jog up to her. I whispered, keep your head down. She looked at me very confused, then she stopped and looked behind us too. When she stopped, she then quickened her pace. I assumed that she saw this woman too. As we walked with our heads hung down low, I heard the gears of a bike driving close to us. At first it was quiet, then it got louder. I didn't look till the sound had suddenly stopped. I looked up and saw nothing. No bike or woman anywhere to be in sight. I asked Nina where the woman had went, but she just looked confused and asked, What woman? The rest of the night I would hear loud bangs or odd sounds from my house, but I never saw the woman again. My family as well as Nina still don't believe me when I say I saw a woman. Even now, as a sophomore in high school, they still make fun of me. I know what I saw. I don't know what it was, but I do know what I saw, and I never walk in that dark anymore. I'm an 18 year old girl from a small town in Norway called Halden. Just to set the scene a little bit, the gym I go to is a big building near the road. It's three floors and each floor has different themes, like on the floors, weights, one is cardio and so on. So you have to have a key card to get in, and every time someone swipes their card at the door to get in, it registers who the card belongs to. I go to the gym almost every day. I don't like to work out when there is a lot of people there. Therefore, I train late. At this time, I always went there between 11 o'clock or midnight. This has been a regular routine for me for months now. I started to notice this guy always being there before me or coming in like 5 to 10 minutes later than when I got there. I have to point out, even though the gym is big, there are barely people there at nighttime, like 2 to 3 at most. So I was often here alone. If not, the guy was there. I started to notice that 
He always stared at me, and I can't deal with people staring at me. Also, too shy to comment anything of it to the person staring, so I just kept on doing my thing. It was like this for a couple of weeks or so, and I started to be more nervous to go to the gym alone. I felt like he was a guy who really couldn't hurt me, but still could easily give me the creeps. He was quite skinny, tall, and had a really kind of creepy vibe to him either way. One night I was walking up the stairs towards the front door of the building to swipe my card, and I noticed something or someone next to the bushes. I knew that this guy rode a bike because I had seen him leave on multiple occasions. Surely enough, there he was, lurking in the bushes and staring at me. At first he saw me notice him, he quickly biked off. I just brushed this off and thought he was being an idiot, a creepy idiot. This is where the creepy stuff happens. As I mentioned, there are three floors. I worked my way down the floors every time. He was here again, going everywhere I went. I tried to go back and forth several times and he kept following me and staring at me. There also was a second guy in the gym this night which made me feel safer but sadly he left before I did. So now it was only me and him alone. I went up to run for 10 minutes to finish my workout and here I have to set the scene again. The boys' showers are in a door behind some sort of shower curtain to divide the cardio room and the showers. I cannot see behind the curtains or in the boys' shower area, so for me to see anything there, someone would have to remove the curtains themselves. Anyways, I was just done with my cardio, started walking towards the girls' locker room. When I looked to my left, only to see him standing there, completely nude, with only a hat on his head and his hands to cover his privates. He stared at me while I was in shock and ran to the locker room. I panicked and stayed in there for ten minutes just wondering what had just happened. I know it sounds almost hilarious, it kind of is, but oh my god did that shock and scare me. I don't know what that guy's intentions were. And who does this? On my way out from there, I glanced back to where he was standing and when I saw him the first time, and surely he was still there. Same position, naked and same creepy eyes staring at me. I decided to contact the gym, and the owner called me a week later to talk about the incident. Apparently this guy was up to no good. He had stolen a card from a boy I actually knew and used it for several months. The owner of the gym wanted to catch him when he was there. So they, meaning the owner and two cops, checked when the card was logged in and went there to have a little chat with him. When they got there, he was on his way out. He saw them and booked it right away. They didn't end up finding him that night, but he got banned from all the gyms in my town for this. Back when I was in middle school, I loved to play video games. Honestly, going on Xbox Live was like another life to me. I could meet many new people, including boys, which honestly made me feel great as I wasn't popular in middle school. So anyways, one of the many video games I would play was Minecraft. Cringy, I know. So when I played Minecraft, I would mostly play on servers. For those of you who don't play video games or know what a server is, it's a place where various people can join and play. So I met many new people through these servers, and I'm still friends with some of these people years later. So I met this one guy who we will call Jake. Jake honestly was a cool guy to play video games with. 
He was funny and really good at the game most of the time. Although he was creepy at times, I won't lie. He would make lots of sexual comments towards me, such as talking about locking me up and doing things to me. As messed up as that sounds, I just ignored it being the naive 12-year-old I was. Heck, at times, he would even act upon it in the game. Such as when he would play Minecraft, he would give me potions, making me unable to move, and he would pretend to do things to me. Still, I ignored this. I had other guy friends from Xbox as well who were all cool. We all used the app Kick to text each other. On Kick, you were able to have profile pictures, and I made mine as a selfie of me. This is important later on. So Jake also had Kick and would text me on there, and he would always make comments about how pretty I looked in the selfie. Frankly, I didn't get red flags or that from it. I thought it was sweet almost. I realize how dumb I am now. So one day Jake recommended that we should Skype and we could play Minecraft together on his world. I agreed but had my friend Lana join the call in world. So Lana and I added him to our call as we were already on the world with him. Hey, his voice boomed through the call. Right off that bat you could tell his voice was extremely deep and he claimed to be only 11. His voice was raspy as well. He sounded like a grown man and I'm pretty sure Lana picked up on what I was thinking as well. We just continued to play the game. I would mess with Jake a bit, saying he sounded like an old perv or something along those lines. Keep in mind, they were all just jokes and I would even clarify with him that they were only jokes and he would laugh along. While playing, I got really snackish so I went downstairs to the kitchen to get some cold pizza. When I left, I left Lana and Jake in the call together. I came back up the steps and read the call. Two thirds of the people were in the call, meaning Lana left. I didn't stress about it, I just thought her phone had died or something. I opened Kick on my phone and saw that Lana had texted me. I left the call, you should too. He read off my address and honestly, I'm pretty terrified of him. Hey, I'm back, what is going on with Lana, what's she talking about? I laughed because I thought she was joking. Talking about what, Samantha? I felt my heart sink. See, many of the people I played with did know my real name, but never called me by it. They would always call me Fun, my username. Why was he calling me by my real name? That you tracked down her address? I could feel my voice shaking with fear. <laughs> well, you guys called me a perv, and you shouldn't have done that. Samantha, you live in... Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. His voice was almost filled with hatred. I hung up the call immediately, beginning to cry in panic. He read off my address. My idiot self decided to text him though, saying that wasn't my address or some nonsense like that. He responded saying he could fly out to where I live at that exact moment. At this point I was sobbing and apologizing for my jokes I made earlier. I was terrified. He complied but I ended up blocking him. A few years down the road, one of my Xbox friends told me that Jake kept that selfie of me in a video of my voice, and he still has it to this day. I'm just glad I'm safe, and that I never met Jake. It was roughly anywhere from 2.37am to 3.20am in the morning. Lucky for me, I was chilling on the small castle bed that belonged to my little sister and was covered in pillows and a few stuffed animals. 
I wished to be in my soft bed upstairs watching Scream, but I was in the living room on my phone. I gave a quick glance over at my little sister, sprawled out all over the twin-sized bed, fast asleep, slightly snoring. I gave a quick glance at the TV and thought to myself, so much for a movie marathon. I just keep replaying Mean Girls and I haven't even paid attention to the movie at all, before hearing a soft voice coming from the huge sliding glass window on my right. Hey, the soft voice spoke. I froze. I knew it wasn't the movie because the end of the credits of the movie were slowly rolling in silence. I was going to blast the TV and ignore it until I realized that the sliding glass window was open, only allowing the warm summer night air to come inside, the hot house leaving a thin screen door between me and this thing outside. Hey, the voice said a bit louder. Another chill went down my spine. I felt tears peeking through my eyes and I wanted to scream for someone to help me in my helpless and exposed state. Hey, the voice said in a nearly sing-song tone. I gulped hard. This voice belonged to a male. I took a shaky breath and glanced down at my phone. Now at this point someone might be asking why I just didn't look out the window and see who it was and there are three reasons why I didn't do this. Number one, my body could physically not move at all. All I could do was move my shaking hands and blink and that was it. Number two, there was a light on and all I could see was the reflection of the dimly lit room. And number three, if I looked out the window and saw a man trying to break into my house, the place I thought could shield me from the outside world, those walls were being penetrated by an unknown force. So, I glanced back down on my phone, pressing buttons and forcing myself not to move, anything besides my shaking hands. If this person is talking right now, they are trying to get my attention, and they can see me, and I refuse to give them that satisfaction of seeing me afraid and vulnerable in that state. Eventually, I opened the app Instagram, and thank God that they added that feature to see who's active. I saw one of my friends who was active and started to message them everything I told the person. I told him where I was in my living room. Eventually I asked him if I can call him and by the grace of God he said yes. Now this part of the story gets very foggy. I was on the verge of having an anxiety attack screaming on the phone, sleep deprived and just trying to protect my baby sister somehow. I called him and in a hushed tone grabbed my phone and my remote control and jumped over both beds in one swift movement, hiding from anything standing behind that thin screen. I tried to wake up my little sister, pleading with her to go to my mother's bedroom and sleep in her room with the baseball bat, but she was sleepy, it was late, and she didn't want to leave the warm bed after that. After that, I failed to put on another movie, practically shaking during this time. All I could hear was my heart thumping taps and scratches and footsteps on the floor and windows of my backyard. My dog, who was an eight-month-old basset hound, was moving around, head slightly tilted, as if though she was listening for something, and that nearly made me crap myself. From 3.27 to 6 a.m., I was on the phone with my friend, looking up how to protect yourself from an intruder and similar things. I don't have much to write about, but all I can remember is passing out at about 7am and clutching my baseball bat tightly. I woke up at 1.27pm. The first thing I did was that I grabbed my baseball bat and my dog's leash and ran into the backyard 
interrupting my grandparents eating lunch by themselves, wearing a pink and red Hello Kitty shirt that was too big on me with black, purple, and yellow lightning striped pajama shorts, holding my tiny dog who is confused and just wants food. I checked everywhere in the backyard. All I could think of was screaming like a maniac, ready to beat the crap out of the crackhead who tried to hurt me, my dog, and my baby sister. I never found that person who tried to break into my backyard, and even as I write this, in a hotel room miles away from my house, I still get chills, but if you're still out there, I never want to see you or hear your raspy voice ever again. This is a story about an old neighbor of mine. Me and my husband and two young kids moved into an old fixer-upper house back in the summer of 2015. I was in college full-time and my husband had agreed to stay home with the kids until I graduated and we would slowly work on doing the house keep-up. Anyways, it was situated in a very small sleepy village in the countryside in Ireland. Everyone knew each other and everyone knew your business. We had a neighbor, Johnny. He was a loner. The only living family member he had was a brother named Thomas and had no friends. He was an old heavy drinker, but I still had a strong suspicion that he drank heavily most nights, and he was a clean freak. Well, the outside was immaculate. His grass was the greenest, softest grass I ever saw, and nobody could touch it or he would come outside yelling at you to get off of his property. He had expensive garden statues and it was like a lawn out of a fancy magazine. Inside his house was dark and filthy. The floor tiles were black with dirt and his ceiling was yellow from smoking indoors and never opening windows. His appearance was always unkempt and he had bulging eyeballs and a demeanor of someone about to explode with rage. The day we moved in, he walked into our front garden and introduced himself in a rough way. I'm Johnny. I live next door. I've been living here 66 years, 8 months, and 21 days or you two. Me and my husband thought he was a weirdo from the get-go, but were polite and explained we just bought the house and planned to make it our family home. Then, he said nobody should have ever bought that house, that it was his late sister's house who died many years ago when she was a young woman. We were taken aback by this, but said sorry to hear. He then turned and walked away, but stopped abruptly at the gate and said in a rage-filled voice, I cut the grass every second day at 10 a.m. I take care of this lawn and mine. Don't ever touch the grass. Uh, okay, sure we said. Not really thinking he's actually going to be serious about this. We live here, I'm sure he would just let us cut our own grass, etc. And we laughed it off. Turns out he was very serious. Every morning at 10 a.m. we would hear his lawnmower start up. And there he was cutting the grass whilst muttering angrily, looking around wild-eyed. My husband often went outside and told him, hey, it's okay, I'll do it, but Johnny would continue as if though he couldn't see him. Johnny was also a hunter. He had two dogs he would bring with him, and he also owned a hunting shotgun. This freaked me out as guns are rarely seen in Ireland, especially to be in the hands of someone so unstable. Then the really strange stuff happened. We were clearing out the attic upstairs. We had all the trash to dump in the front garden, and Johnny storms into our garden, yelling, What are we doing? He marched into the hallway and said to never, ever go near the attic. My husband got annoyed at this point and told him to leave us alone. 
It's our house and we'll do what we want. Johnny freaked out screaming his dead sister's clothes are up there and all her belongings, even her old-fashioned bicycle, and never to touch them as they're not ours. Needless to say, we ignored him and put the stuff outside and told him if he wants them that much that he can take them into his own house. He stormed off and looked back at us, laughing maniacally. He freaked me out, but my husband says he's just some weirdo and not to take notice of him. The next day, the rubbish removal company were due to come and collect the stuff we decided to dump. We were surprised to see that pile of old belongings was untouched all day. The following day arrived, and when we awoke, all the belongings were gone. No surprise as to who took them. Two days later, we didn't hear his lawnmower. We didn't so much as see him for three whole weeks. Then one day, while my husband was out of town, I was alone with the kids, and they wanted to go outside to play soccer. We went, but discovered all of their soccer balls had kitchen knives stuck in them. Needless to say, I got freaked out and called my husband, who said to call the police, but I didn't think there was anything that they could do. That night, I barely slept. I lay awake, terrified Johnny was behind all of this. The next morning, I went downstairs early, and there Johnny stood in his backyard at around 5am. It was still dark outside, and it was raining. But there was Johnny yelling. Don't touch your clothes, Tommy. Don't look at me with that sinful stare. Again, I was pretty unnerved and felt like I shouldn't be seeing this, so I tried my hardest not to listen as I went to the living room. Later that day, I heard Johnny starting up his lawnmower as I was in the backyard with my best friend, who decided to come and visit for the day. Johnny saw us both in the backyard and stopped in his tracks. You didn't tell me you had a sister. Oh no, I said. She's not my sister, she's my best friend. Then Johnny yelled, You can't fool me. Wait until I tell Thomas what you tried to do. He won't be happy. Then he stopped yelling and stared right at us with his bulging eyes, and in a very eerie, calm voice said, It's clear she's your sister. You have the same flesh. And he walked away, muttering angrily. We were both really freaked out at this point, and my husband was due home soon. We decided to both walk to a nearby store to buy milk and, as we did, a neighbor from across the street approached us. She explained that Johnny was a shady character and the house we bought was, in fact, his late sister's house, but she hadn't just died all those years ago. She had been murdered in a very brutal fashion. She mentioned nobody had ever been brought to justice as it was so long ago and nobody was ever suspect in such a village. Everyone except Johnny, she said. Nobody trusted him, but he apparently was questioned by the police and released without charge. I mentioned his brother Thomas, and she looked bewildered and said, Johnny has no living family, and he never had any brothers at all. I was totally freaked out by this information, and hurriedly rang my husband to tell him. He agreed Johnny was dangerous, possibly mentally unstable due to some undiagnosed medical issue like schizophrenia or something, but... He made him uneasy, especially as we had young kids. The next couple of weeks involved Johnny yelling at Thomas some more and smashing plates off the floor every night, screaming, Eat your dinner, Thomas, for God's sake. I'm cooking it all day. How dare you refuse? My husband said we would just ignore him and he might stop. My husband also bought his own lawnmower to take care of the grass. One morning he was just setting it up when out of the corner of his eye he saw Johnny staring at him through an upper story window. He could hear him muttering angrily, but 
couldn't make out what he was saying. That night, things escalated. The kids had a sleepover in their friend's house, so we decided to paint inside and do some light renovation work. That night, there was a series of long, hard, angry knocks on the door. It was Johnny yelling and spit flying from his mouth. In his hands was his shotgun, clutched so tight his knuckles turned white. I told you, I warned you not to touch the grass. As he said the last words, he kicked the front door down. He stood in our hallway, reeking of alcohol and cigarette smoke. I genuinely thought we were both going to get shot. My husband tried to talk to him, but it was no use. He was getting angrier and angrier until he just absolutely stopped, stared straight ahead looking past us and said, I need you to bring me home. I don't feel well. I protested, but my husband said to call the police, so I did. They took it very serious seeing as there was a gun-wielding maniac in my hallway only moments ago, and now my husband had agreed to walk him just as far as to his front door, not leaving my sight as I stayed on the phone to the police. As Johnny opened his front door, my husband said he caught a glimpse of the hallway. The walls were covered with yellowing newspaper clippings of the death of his sister, hundreds of them. He even had crude drawings my husband couldn't make out. My husband literally ran and jumped the wall dividing our homes. When he did that, he walked on the grass. Johnny came out with his gun aimed right at him, and just as he did, two police cars showed up. Their timing was remarkable. Johnny had to be tased twice but was eventually overpowered, at the time yelling he didn't kill her, he didn't kill her, referring to his sister. The court case is still pending so I changed his name for obvious reasons. He's being investigated for his sister's death as there's now breakthroughs with DNA and he's still aggressive and manic in jail apparently. Keeps saying Thomas will die without him who will look after Thomas. His house now lays empty and unloved. The once manicured lawns now overgrown and wild. It has a creepy feeling about the place, and the newspaper clippings still remain on his hallway wall. It was Halloween night, and my friends and I dressed up as the Scooby-Doo gang. We were all girls and a little too old to be trick-or-treating in 7th or 8th grade, but my friends convinced me to come with them since they needed a fourth member to complete the group costume. I agreed because, hey, free candy. We left my friend's house at 7 and it was already pretty dark. I wasn't familiar with the neighborhood at all. My three friends all lived in that area near one another, so I was just following their lead. We hit a good amount of houses and had traveled a pretty far distance. Though I didn't know it, we were in a totally different neighborhood that they weren't familiar with either. No one told me that though. We reached a one-story house with overgrown bushes and Christmas lights hanging. The lights were on and there was a pumpkin on the porch so we ring the doorbell like any old house. An older man, looking to be about 60, opens the door with a big smile. He gives us tons of candy, like handfuls each and my naive self thought he must know one of my friends. This wasn't a crazy idea, a lot of the neighbors we visited were family friends of my friends and gave us big helpings. As he hands out the candy, he starts a conversation. You guys are older kids, huh? What are you going as, Scooby-Doo? We all replied yes. What? Do you guys have a party later tonight? Gonna drink? Smoke? 
At this point, I'm sure he's family friends with Shaggy because she laughs and says yeah and I figured it's all a joke. As we turn to leave, the man calls us back. Wait, since you are older kids, I have something saved inside. You know, the big kid decorations. Come on, take a look. He placed his hand on my back and began pushing me in. That's when it clicked. This man is the guy my parents always warned me to avoid. One of my friends yells at the man to stop, that we have to be home now and we don't have time. My other two friends have already sprinted off the porch. As I shuffled off, he called out again saying that it was a shame, maybe next time. Just thinking about it makes me shudder. Afterwards, I was in a bit of shock from what happened. I felt that the worst part of the whole situation was I had to dump my candy out, since my friend warned me there might be razor blades in one he gave us, and he gave us handfuls. My friend told her parents, but their reaction was extremely underwhelming. They asked for what house it was, but they were drinking and relaxing. I don't think that anything ever really came of it. I should make it clear from the beginning, I have not always had the best taste in men. We'll get that out of the way now. After a split from my husband and being hit on by the worst of the worst, my friends and I thought it would be funny for me to sign up for Tinder as a social experiment of sorts. At least then I could control the men who talked to me as well as provide my friends with hilarious screenshots. I will add, Tinder isn't as bad as I met my fiancé on the app. You win some, you lose some. I met a man named Jason, who seemed intelligent, witty, and had a successful career. After talking for a while, I agreed to meet up with him for coffee. I hate coffee. He was attractive and seemed very attentive. It was a nice date and we made plans to meet up again for sushi. The next week, we met for sushi and after what I thought was a good date, he suggested that we went back to his apartment to watch some documentaries. I'm a sucker for documentaries and he did not seem like a serial killer, so I agreed. As we sat on his couch, he turned on an obscure documentary about some musician from the 50s which I was fine with, but I noticed that he kept staring at me. Now, attention can be flattering, or it can be downright creepy. Unfortunately, his attentiveness fell under the latter category. After a few minutes of actively ignoring his staring, he, completely out of nowhere, said, Can I taste you? I've always been a fan of serial killer documentaries, and... I was pretty sure this may have been one of Dahmer's pickup lines, so I politely declined and broke out of there. At the time, I was creeped out, but chalked it up to a good failed Tinder date story. And here's where things get really weird. He soon asked me out on another date, and although in my mind I wanted to scream, I would rather be waterboarded than spend more time with him. I politely explained that due to going through a divorce... It just was not good timing and I wasn't truly ready to date anyone. We were not friends on social media so I didn't think it was a huge deal. A month or so later I met the man who I would eventually become engaged to, again via Tinder, and didn't give a second thought to Jason. After a few months there were pictures of my now fiancé and I on Facebook and Instagram. Around this time, my fiancé, who I will call G, received a text message from a strange number claiming to be one of his female friends. It was a very strange message as she basically went ahead and propositioned for him to come over and hook up. He knew this was out of character for this friend as she knew he was dating someone so 
He immediately messaged the friend and asked if she had sent the messages. She of course had not, and he didn't think much of it. I owned my house, so after about six months, G had moved in with me. His friend fell upon hard times, and we were welcoming to her and to our house to stay until she was able to find an apartment. She began receiving messages on Instagram calling her an ugly troll and making various other disparaging remarks. Around this time, we had noticed a white car had been sitting outside of our house periodically. I live in a very rural area and there's no parking on the street. About twice a week we would see this white vehicle and at first I thought it may have been my ex-husband or someone that he knew. Again, it was not a good split. Maybe a month later, G received a message on Instagram telling him he would never be good enough for me. He was a terrible boyfriend and that if he hurt me, this person would hurt him. He sent me a text message from work asking if I had received any strange messages and let me know something kind of weird had happened. I let him know that I had not and asked what was going on. He sent me screenshots of the messages and I noted that the person who had sent them was also following me on Instagram. I looked at the profile and the only people he followed were men who commented on my photos or females who followed G. Once I knew about all the messages received from both G and his friend, I started to panic about the white car that would watch the house. We literally live across the street from a cornfield. There is never any reason for anyone to be sitting outside of our house who we don't know. After all this came to light, I couldn't think of who might have created a fake profile to bully people who I was involved with, but I saw even the fake name was Jason. When he explained the strange text message and his friend divulged the messages she had received, I was still struggling to figure out who may be doing this. I went through all my social media and on Snapchat, I found that Jason was following me. I had never given him my last name, so I'm still not sure how he was able to find me. He was the only person who fit the situation, and the rude messages continued throughout the day. I knew that Jason worked as a tech developer and would have the know-how to create a fake number and seek out my information. On top of going through a nasty divorce, I also have two small children. As soon as G sent a message to Jason conveying that the police would not be happy with someone harassing a woman with two small children, all messages and communication stopped. This encounter happened when I was about seven years old. My sister and I had invited our neighbor who was around our age to come over for a movie night. To give you some idea of my old neighborhood, this is important to the story. The neighborhood is pretty old so the houses aren't far apart or super close like most neighborhoods are these days. It's also very hilly with tons of trees. Her house was beside my driveway, less than a two minute walk to her front door. Anyway, after about two hours of pizza, Scooby-Doo, and girl talk, it was about 11 o'clock, so we decided to walk her home. As we started walking towards her house, we noticed a black truck parked at the end of her yard up by the road. Nothing odd since people park like that all the time. Right as we all stepped off my driveway and into her yard, a huge hooded figure stepped out from behind one of her trees in her yard. We froze. Not sure if we were seeing things or if it was a real person. After about 30 seconds, we started backing up, trying not to lose eye contact with the figure. That's when he started walking slowly, getting faster with every step. By the time we hit my driveway, he was stepping onto hers. 
We booked it, sprinting for the door. He also started running at this point. All of us screamed, ran into my garage, and locked the wooden door behind us. Our screams were so loud that my mother and grandmother heard us and met us at the door. At this point, all three of us were freaking out, trying to explain to my mom and grandma what had happened. We told them that a man had chased us. My mom called my friend's house to see if they saw anything outside. My friend's grandma said they didn't see a truck or a man. My mom ended up walking with us this time since we were all too scared to walk alone. My friend's grandma told us that what we saw was the pizza man. Even in my seven-year-old mind, I knew that was a lie. What pizza man hides behind a tree? Also, the only other car was the truck which didn't have a pizza place logo anywhere. About two years later, we found out who the hooded man was. It ended up being my friend's 45-year-old uncle who was a known addict. Apparently, he was super out of it that night. According to her grandma, he just wanted to play a prank on us. But I highly doubt that was the situation. It was winter of 2015 and I was working at a doctor's office in Branson, Missouri. I had just gotten a new iPhone and was excited to try out the time-lapse mode for its camera. On my drive home from work one early evening, I decided to stop and capture the sunset over Table Rock Lake. It was a gorgeous evening and the winter sun would be setting soon. I parked my SUV at the State Park Entry Point parking lot and mine was the only car in sight, but that didn't alarm me. I hopped out and realized how incredibly chilly it was. It was sunny, but blistering cold. I opened the back of my vehicle and put on some gloves and a better pair of shoes, and then I took off down the trail that led to the edge of the lake. I'd noticed that Branson Bell showboat slowly making its way across the lake for its sunset voyage, and I thought it'd be neat to capture it in the time lapse. I was a single 31-year-old female with a lifetime of experience doing risky things on my own without consequence. The path down to the water was marked with large rocks on each side. I was in a hurry to get down to the shore and get into recording position. I lost my footing and fell down hard. My head rested on a pointy-shaped big rock that I think would have knocked me out had I not managed to literally stop the impact at the moment we collided. My knee and one of my hands stung badly. It suddenly hit me how stupid this was because no one knew where I was and I nearly incapacitated myself on a vacant trail in freezing temperatures with it being minutes from dark nonetheless. As I sat there recovering from my fall, I decided I was close enough to the shore and I'd just film right where I fell. I was about to find out that falling down was the least of my worries. Gonna borrow a light? I nearly jumped out of my skin. I turned around and there he was. He was standing about 20 feet behind me. I replied to him that I was sorry, but I didn't have a lighter because it didn't smoke. I saw you getting out of your car up there. You got a real nice bottom. Where had he been? There seriously wasn't a soul in sight when I parked and I headed down the trail. This next part you might find hard to believe because I myself still cannot grasp that there are people out there like this, but in his fourth sentence to me and within less than a minute, he said, You want to get busy? I knew I was in a lot of trouble. No one would hear me if I were to scream. Sure, the Branson Bell was out in the water, but it was several football field lengths away and I'm sure I was invisible to them. 
They wouldn't hear me over the sounds of the massive ship anyhow. Without missing a beat, I told him that it was too cold to do it outside and we should go to my car. I pretended to be interested. In my mind, I just knew I needed to get off this trail before the sun went down and obviously I'd abandoned capturing the sunset. I don't recall all the things he said during the walk up to the parking lot, but when he asked if he could touch me during the walk, I happily agreed. I knew it was a test. I still wasn't 100% sure if he was going to let me make it off that trail, and anything I could do or say to please him on that walk was my ticket out. How had I gotten myself into this awful situation? God, I was stupid. Just please let me make it out of this, and I swear I'll be smarter. He kept his hands on me for the rest of the walk back. We made it to the parking lot, but much to my disappointment, I was still the only car there other than a vehicle that wasn't parked in a real spot and hadn't been there either. I knew it was his car. He'd been hiding and watching me, and then he pulled up to the trail entrance and left his car at it before he began following me. You may ask why I didn't call 911 on the trail. Well, he was watching my every move, and I wanted to make it off the trail unharmed and alive. I figured it being below freezing was a good excuse to refuse to do whatever he wanted to do out there on the trail, but please him by promising to do it somewhere warmer. Unfortunately, the parking lot was far enough off the regular highway that passing cars couldn't see it. My next mission was to make it to my own vehicle and escape. We were standing by his car, and he continued saying things that he was going to do to me that seemed too graphic for me to write about. I was still playing along. I tried to get his name and number out of him, but he refused both. Why would someone refuse to give me even their name? He began unzipping his pants and trying to get me to do things, so I insisted we walk to my SUV. First, though, he grabbed something out of his car, and I never got a good look at it, but I'm pretty sure it was a handgun. We walked across the parking lot towards my car. I pushed unlock, knowing that only pushing it once would unlock the driver's side door. I had my keys in the ready position. I jumped in as he was attempting to open the passenger door, threw it in reverse, and backed up as the tires spun on loose gravel. Then I put it into drive and floored it. I was too afraid to look in the rearview mirror. I called 911 and gave them his description. Oddly, he was a handsome enough guy. Stood about six foot tall, blonde hair, brown eyes, and medium fair skin, a slightly muscular build and nice features, probably around 25 to 30 years old. You wouldn't look at him and think anything remarkable or otherwise. I wasn't ever in a position to see his license plate, but I told him about his car. He drove an older, probably early 90s pale blue car. It reminded me of my great-grandmother's Oldsmobile. I didn't even have a first name to give them. After taking down my information, I never heard from anyone regarding my report again. I may never know what exactly he has done, but I do know that I sensed the presence of absolute evil that evening. So this happened when I was 18 and my last year in high school. My school was located in a boring residential area. It is actually a pretty wealthy neighborhood, but it didn't appeal to teenagers looking for stuff to do, and this is important to the following events. Me and my friends usually would go to a store and buy cheap alcohol in order to get wasted while walking down the streets, not proud of those days. If we had the energy sometimes, we would go to this park of sorts to get some privacy. 
We were always worried to get caught by the school and have our parents called. They said the park had basically three layers. It had a lake at the center, in the middle a running field and woods enveloping it all. We would obviously get in between the trees and begin to party. We were out of the school's reach and we didn't have to worry about anything, except some occasional park staff and some weirdos lurking by, but we were never in less than five, so probably not. Surprisingly, this is not a drinking regretful story, though I have many. I just wanted to get it clear that I didn't have much place to go or private stuff at that time. My options were very limited. This became a problem when I got my first girlfriend. It was already pretty awkward just existing in front of each other, even worse engaging in all the processes of making out, especially inside the school buildings where everyone could simply catch you in the act. So a simple, hey let's have a date at the park today, was the perfect solution. Immediately upon our arrival we started to search for obscure places. As we found one we got to our business, it was going quite well even though we had to occasionally stop due to people getting close while passing by. In one of those situations, we heard some footsteps and immediately stopped. After they ceased, we got back to kissing, but then I decided to open my eyes and look around a bit. Yeah, I'm one of those. Only to see a weirdo statically looking at us from about 15 meters away. I suddenly stopped and stared back at the guy, hoping he would go away, but he didn't. Instead, he waves and starts walking towards us. As he does it, my mind is flooded with the until now forgotten memories of people saying how shady that place was. Stuff like deals, stalkers, and people up to no good. After the awkward walk in our direction, the guy starts talking to us. He looked like he was in his mid-forties. He was bald and wearing a regular outfit. He looked like that everyday man you see in the street but can't remember the face. My girlfriend and I were clearly nervous. The man pulled something like, So, hey there, having a good time, huh? I myself used to get here with some cuties back in the day. <laughs> then he proceeded to ask information like where we live and where we study, a pattern in these situations apparently. I lied saying we were from the neighborhood but told the truth about our school. He continued, oh, Really sorry to interrupt, uh, but I uh, just couldn't go without telling you that the park patrol usually passes by here this time. If they caught you, they're probably calling your school. Fishy, no doubt, but then he made a suggestion. You know, I know quite a place around here. Use it myself sometimes. <laughs> Come on, I'll show you. And then started walking, signing for us to follow. Yeah, I know you probably would have had the balls to stand up and go away, but for us, it was so sudden and fast that we didn't know actually what was happening, so we just followed the creep. The realization that we messed up came at the middle of the walk to the place though. We were silently panicking. After non-literal centuries of walking, we finally arrived at the place. It was a giant concrete pipe in an isolated playground, apparently used like a tunnel by the kids. The guy said some more nonsense about his glory days and finally left. I remember starting to think that the guy was just extremely weird but with actual good intentions since he actually left. I was not putting our lives at the stake though. As soon as the man disappeared, I told my girlfriend we had to go. She quietly agreed. She was very introverted and quiet, even so this time I could see why she was extremely uncomfortable. Before leaving I had this feeling that the creep might still be around, so we hid in a bush and waited. Boy, was I right. 
Almost instantly after we hid, the guy creeped out of a tree and stealthily approached the playground. We freaked out. We were in that classic scene covering our mouths, looking through the bushes. We thought he saw us since he was approaching us, but apparently he didn't. As he arrives at the playground, he starts peeping at the big pipe. When he finds no one there, he leaves again. This was the moment when everything made sense. He lured us into this isolated place to get us in the act. But why though? What would he do if we were there? We were not staying there to find out, so we rushed to go away. At the beginning, we were just fast walking, but then the guy spawned out of nowhere in front of us and asked why we were leaving. I didn't even let the guy finish his sentence and said, We gotta leave. Then we started running till we were far enough away. It was a very weird experience. Till this day, I really don't know what the intentions of that creep was. I got back to the park sometimes for various reasons. It's a popular place to hang out and thankfully never saw the guy again. But I never saw this patrol he alerted us about either, so I assume he really was up to no good. During the time this took place, I was a short girl with light brown skin, long curly hair, and, to my shame, a woman's figure. I was barely 13 years old and had just moved to another area in my state. To my dismay, this dropped half of my credits. I was struggling in my last school though and my parents heard great things about what we'll call Green Valley Junior High. The school went on a weird schedule compared to my old one. It was the same four classes each day depending on the semester and it was huge. Two giant floors and at least a thousand students. My first day was easy of course. New students, so everyone was trying to enlist me in whatever clique first. You know how it goes. Fast forward a week and I'm friends with these four girls now. Channing, Jessica, Brooke, and Madison. Of all of them, I definitely look back now and single out Madison as the ringleader. She was thin, blonde, and pretty but bossy as all get out. I thought she was cool and wanted to be liked by her for some reason but felt closer to Channing, who was a brunette and pretty in her own right just chubby. I only had one class each with Jessica and Brooke, so I barely saw them in school. Channing and Madison, however, were both in bio with me at the end of the day. Because of them, it quickly became my favorite class. Our teacher, Mr. Parks, was a factor in this too. He was always friendly to the three of us and always put us on group projects together so that we were never separated. He was happy I made such good friends since I was new. Madison sometimes would spot him looking at us and joke around about kissing in front of him. I didn't think much of it because honestly she just said stuff like that. She was the cool bad girl so to me it wasn't a surprise. I just laughed it off. Still, it was weird the way she would look at him with that flirtatious sparkle in her eye. She was obviously crushing and he was kind of cute. Just way too old for us. Once I swore I saw him wink and grin at her but... She said he had something caught in his eye when she asked him about it. Later that night, we had our moms drop us off at Jessica's house who was having a slumber party for making A's and B's all year. I was excited because it was the first one I had all year. The night started out fairly normal. Dinner with Jessica's mom, makeup, music, and a movie. Then after Jess's mom went to bed, things heated up. Madison snuck some vodka from her dad's liquor cabinet and packed it in her bag. 
She took the half-empty bottles out of her pack and invited us all in to drink. I didn't want to, but I did because I didn't want to look lame in front of Madison. No one did. The party resumed, although later on I felt tipsy and Madison had started vomiting. This scared Jessica, who didn't want her mom to hear Madison going back and forth to the bathroom because she would get caught. She suggested we take her phone and call her brother to go pick her up or something. Her brother and her were really tight and cool with each other and also disposed of the bottle. Brooke and Jessica would sneak Madison outside for her brother to retrieve her after Channing called him and I would sneak out back to hide the vodka bottle where it could never be found. Seemed like a solid plan. We waited for Madison to stumble back to the bedroom from the bathroom but it took forever so Jessica had to go help her. She was toasted. While she was gone, Channing scrolled through Madison's phone to find her brother. Madison then got a text from someone that read, I can't stop thinking about you. Channing whispered to me and Brooke that Madison had a boyfriend and she was hiding it from us. Needless to say, we started snooping. Then things got weird. The guy talking to Madison was apparently in class with me, her and Channing, but never spoke to us. Guess he was really secret. We scrolled past some other romantic messages they sent like, You complete me. I would do anything for you. And you're the most beautiful girl in the whole world. Really sweet stuff. Maybe one picture of Madison with makeup on was sent too. That's when I saw something that made my stomach drop. You should totally kiss your new friend. That would be so hot. I might even raise your grade to 100%. Maybe you can try to touch her and send me a picture. No one's as beautiful as you, babe, but... To see that would drive me crazy, you know that. I tried to hold the scream in. When Jessica came back, she laid Madison down on the carpet and we showed her too. Jessica took the phone straight to her mom who called Madison's mom. We all got in trouble for drinking after Madison was picked up but Mr. Parks was immediately reported. I didn't see Madison at school again. Apparently she transferred. Mr. Park was labeled on the offender list and locked up for 15 years because he had pictures of Madison and two other girls around 13 to 14 saved on his phone and private laptop, and also because Madison admitted that they had done things but never went all the way. This happened this afternoon and I instantly thought of these stories. Now, this isn't just a he-looked-at-me-funny story, so bear with me for a minute. So it was about 1.30 and I decided to get some lunch. I thought that subway sounded perfect, so I got my wallet and walked out the door. The subway is a five-minute walk from my house and is a row of about six to seven shops, one of which being a local shop called Spar. It's a chain in the UK. So before getting my delicious sub sandwich, I decided to walk in and grab a can of Coke. As I went to walk in, another man did also, so I politely said, Sorry mate, after you. He replied, No, go on lad, it's alright. I thought this was nice enough, but how he was dressed should have been an indication of what was to come. He was shirtless and wearing a St. Patrick's Day plastic hat in the middle of summer. Anyway, I accepted his offer and walked in first and made my way to the fridge. Now as I did, I realized he was still right behind me like within touching distance. I just assumed that he was going that way too and moved out of his way in case I was blocking him. I wasn't. He stood there looking at me. So at this point, I walked around the shop trying to lose him, but wherever I went, he followed. 
He finally said something. Do you even know what you're buying, lad? He continued to follow me, slurring indecipherable things at me. I then walked towards the staff and as I did he said, Buy something, I'll kill your whole family. What? I walked to the staff and told them, I don't know this guy, he's just following me. And as they were talking to him, I walked away as he was distracted. They asked him to leave and I told him I was just a kid and to leave me alone. I'm 16. He got angry and annoyed that he couldn't see me and shouted, Where's he? Tell him to get his money out and buy something. That daft idiot doesn't even know what he wants. I stood out of view for a bit while this continued and while he left, I walked to the counter and the staff told me that he comes in sometimes to, ironically, never buy anything but is always off his head on something powerful. Afterwards, I bought my coke, thanked the staff and promptly left. As I left, I saw him coming out of one of the other shops. I busted out of there and walked the other way until he was gone and then got my subway. The sub was great, but I hope I never see that guy and whatever he was on again. My mom and I decided to go on a weekend trip to a city that's a popular tourist destination about three hours from where I live. We got here in the late afternoon, checked into our Airbnb, ate dinner downtown and then decided to walk around. We were walking around the downtown area when I became tired, really full from dinner, and said I wanted to find a bench to sit down. Mom said to keep moving and thought she looked unusually tense. I found a bench in a square park area where a few police officers were standing around a squad car parked nearby. My mom seemed to relax a bit and we sat down. About ten minutes later I suggested we get up and go back to our car. My mom said, Earlier, a man in a purple shirt seemed to be following us. Can you look around? Is he still there? I looked behind us and maybe three yards away to the left was a guy in a purple shirt just standing. I said yeah, he's still there. My mom suggested we get up and quickly walk back toward the direction of our car. We went back down to the downtown area which was also pretty busy and crowded with a lot of people. As we walked, I looked behind us and the man was looking directly at us and following us, keeping a distance. My mom and I tried to think of how we could lose this guy and ended up going into a nearby bar. Once inside, there happened to be a few police officers at a booth. We decided to tell them our suspicions and asked them to walk us to our car. The cops were really nice and three of them walked with us. We apologized in case it was nothing, but they said, If you felt something wasn't right, then it probably wasn't. I'm glad my mom was paying attention to our surroundings because I may not have noticed the man. At first I thought my mom was being paranoid until we stood in the park for the exact amount of time we were there and started walking exactly when we left not to mention the fact that he was looking directly at us. I shudder to think what he may have been planning to do if he got us alone. Be safe, everyone. It was the summer before my 8th grade and I believe I was 13 at the time. That summer my mom had been invited to an alumni picnic for her university I, being the rebellious teenager I was at the time, was in a foul mood about being forced to go and was huffing and rolling my eyes the entire way. 
After arriving at the picnic and surveying the food and venue, I deemed it not worthy of my attention and sat at a secluded table. Mistake number one. About half an hour later, people began shifting from drinks to the main dishes. They were set out in buffet style. Feeling hungry, I made my way over to the buffet line. There was also a barbecue set up where a guy was flipping patties and taking requests. I decided to go for the barbecue first since there were less people waiting compared to the buffet line. I have a very outgoing personality, so I like to smile at everyone. When it was my turn to order what I wanted, I looked up from my phone gave the guy flipping patties my brightest smile, mistake number two. He smiled back and then proceeded to say hello and ask me how I was, things he did not ask any other person before me. After responding and returning the courtesies, I grew more and more wary of him. He was overly nice and attentive of me and gave off a bad vibe overall, deciding that I would attempt to avoid him for the rest of the night. I returned to my secluded picnic table and began eating while reading a book that I brought. Not long after, I hear rustling behind me and I turn around to see the creepy dude from before behind me. I'm immediately alert and also filled with dread. My hopes that our uncomfortable encounter would end with the burger interaction died. He approaches me and asks what I'm reading. The guy then proceeds to strike up a conversation with me, asking me mostly about school. Although his questions weren't extremely invasive, they were meant to keep the conversation going so he could continue talking to me despite my impartial replies and clear disinterest. At this point, I'm fairly sure that he is not just some guy who is overly friendly and likes to chat. I mean, he looked like he was approaching 30 and I was just barely 13. I made it my purpose to stress that I was entering the 8th grade, but that seemed to fly over his head. Finally, one of the guys who was from the same catering company called out to him and he left. I breathed a sigh of relief and decided it was best to go somewhere else. The university is located in an extremely safe city and since I basically grew up on campus, I knew the layout very well. Knowing that I could find my way around and back, I ventured to a nearby fountain where I proceeded to sit and continue to read my book. I had been immersed in my book for probably an hour when I heard someone call me loudly by my fake name. It was the Creeper. I had given him a fake name because, being overly paranoid and cautious, I was afraid that I was going to get stalked or worse. My heart drops and I turn around to see him in a golf cart, but the ones for carrying stuff on the back, I'm not sure what they're called. I hesitantly wave at him, he drives closer to where I'm sitting and asks, Do you want to go for a ride? In that moment, my vision was flooded with red flags. I very quickly said, No and told him I was happy just reading my book here. He asked again and I replied, No, I don't know you at all. I don't think it's safe. He kept insisting that he was just going to go to the cafe on campus where the event had ordered catering from to pick up some water and fruit and that it'll be short. He told me that it would be much more fun than sitting there reading. I think we're probably there for at least 10 minutes with me saying no and him relentlessly insisting. I was getting pretty annoyed at this time and my resolve was wearing. Being a kid who liked to see the best in people and situations, I told myself reluctantly that it's an extremely safe campus with people, I should be okay if I just stay alert. So I finally relent and say fine. However, before I got onto the golf cart, I decided to say very seriously while making direct eye contact, I know karate, I will not hesitate to defend myself if you try anything. 
Funny thing is, I don't know karate at all, but he looked thoroughly caught off guard. He kind of laughed and said, Don't worry, I'm not going to do anything. I just want to show you around. The ride to the cafe itself is very tense with me sitting at the very edge of the seat. He asks me more questions about myself and I give him one word replies. We get there, safely, and I breathe a sigh of relief. He goes into the cafe and asks if I want to come inside. He says that there's a lot of snacks and food and I'd be free to grab whatever I'd like. My brain screamed red flag and I politely declined and waited outside as he stocked up. On the ride back, he grew more bold. He began talking about himself and told me that he is a girlfriend. What? And that he was planning on marrying her. About 30 seconds after he told me that, he looked at me, smiled, and told me that he absolutely just loves Asian girls and that they are just beautiful, like me. I am thoroughly creeped and disgusted and feeling extremely bad for the girlfriend, if he actually has one. He makes more comments on my appearance like he's done all day. Wow, you were just so beautiful. We finally get back to the picnic venue. I say thanks and I'm just about ready to jump off and speed walk back when he turns around from the wheel, puts his arm around me and says, Thank you so much, this was great. He then puts his hand on my thigh and rubs it a bit and then squeezes hard. I was wearing shorts since it was summer so his hand was right on my bare thigh. My stomach flip-flops and my heart races. I manage a small smile that probably was actually more of a cringe and hopped off the vehicle and literally ran back to the venue. Four years later, I attended the same alumni picnic thinking there would be no way in hell that they would cater from the same place. I was wrong. The same guy who took me for a ride and subsequently rubbed and squeezed my thigh was there flipping patties again. He recognized me faster than I recognized him and smiled in that leering way. Needless to say, I got out of there quick and never went back. A few years ago, I, a female, lived in my car. I was fresh out of college and overwhelmed with student debt, and being young, dumb, and 21, I thought car living was a good way to save money. I live in Southern California, so the rent is high and the weather is temperate enough to make this possible year-round. One night, I decided to park in a neighborhood I thought I knew well. It was right by the beach and a couple of blocks next to an ex-boyfriend of mine, so I felt safe there as I had walked the streets at night plenty of times. I parked, locked the doors, hung up the curtains so no one could look in, plugged in my earplugs so the car's passing wouldn't wake me and fell asleep. Now my earplugs were effective but terrible, and I could always count on them falling off in the middle of the night. I actually preferred this because it meant I could fall asleep but still hear my phone alarm in the morning. It was about 2am when I woke up to my earplugs already having fallen off and something feeling wrong. Odd scratching noises were coming from the window. It started at the passenger side door, then moved to the back seat doors. I froze, unsure of what to make of it, painfully aware that I leave my windows slightly cracked at night for ventilation. I honestly didn't know what to do, so I stayed frozen, trying to make sense of it all. That's when the flashlight turned on, and some idiot unmistakably shone his light in trying to find a crack in the curtains, and to my horror, he found one and shone it right where my face was. It's hard to explain, but the position of my head made it so I could piece together what was happening based on the light everywhere, but 
He couldn't see my eyes. The scratching then continued, and I knew I was done. This went from potential attempted car theft to someone knowing I was in the car. For clarity, I had up these psychedelic curtains at the time, very eye-catching and hard to miss. Stupid, I know. I got black curtains immediately after this incident. This is why I suspect he knew I was in the car the whole time. He just put two and two together. Also, I don't know for sure, but the scratching noises sounded like he was trying to shove something in the cracks of my window and grab the door lock, but failing to gain any traction because they were barely cracked. During those times, I slept with a bat and mace by my seat, but I was literally paralyzed with fear and couldn't will myself to grab them. However, my last year of college, I took a class called RAD and remembered the number one rule. Yell confidently and confrontationally to any assailant. I wish I could say I screamed something hardcore, but what left my lips was a loud, aggravated, and forceful, Excuse me? Like I was Link yelling at the Princess of Hyrule in that terrible TV show. It was super lame, but it echoed. To my immense relief, I hear the sounds of his footsteps running away at top speed, but I kid you not, the guy was laughing as he ran like it was some stupid game. I was still paralyzed, but eventually him running gave me the courage to get up, grab my bat, and shove my way to the front seat where I started the car and sped away. I didn't see him, and I spent the night at a friend's house. I live in an apartment now. It wasn't until the next morning that I realized I had parked one block away from a bar, and at the time of the incident, the bar had just closed. I'm currently in my 30s, and I suppose your average male living in the Midwestern United States. Regular job, regular life, and I simply hope for the best. Try to remain positive and try to live and let live. I do have one thing that, when brought up, turns me back into a frightened four-year-old, shaking, stressed, and worried. The year was 1983. I was four years old, very happy and very trusting, until the fateful day I was made aware of this strange man. It was Thanksgiving and we made the trip to visit my mother's side of the family. We were at her grandparents' house. At the time, I was an only child and, as a matter of fact, the only child there. I remember being bored after everyone had eaten and asked my dad to take me to a large well-known park in the area. It stood out due to the fact that it had giant animals that were part of the park. A penguin with a slide in its stomach, an elephant you could climb up with the help of a ladder, a kangaroo that you could somehow bounce in. Anyways, you get the point. My dad jumped at the chance to get out of the house and away from everyone. He was a stranger here. There were in-laws he never really knew, cousins, aunts and uncles, great-grandparents, not to mention the friends of these people, all really tight-knit and knowing each other for years. We arrived at the park and my first impression while pulling up was the number of kids running around. I noticed the occasional parent as well as keeping a watchful eye on their children. My dad told me that he would watch me from the car and to have fun with the other kids. I jumped out of the back seat and scrambled to the penguin first. I remember bonding with the other kids. I had of course never met any of them before but kids seemed to have a natural tendency to flock together, trust one another and simply play. I was running around like most of the children, going from the slides to the swings and eventually grew tired and sat on the bench. It had only been about 15 minutes since I had arrived and was planning on being there for several more hours. I then noticed him. 
a man that stood out. I could tell even as a four-year-old that he did not belong here. He was dressed in a trench coat, a hat that matched and kept looking around, staring at different kids. In my childlike mind, he resembled Inspector Gadget. I knew immediately what he was up to. He was looking for an unattended child. He then eyed me, my dad being in the car several hundred yards away. He made the mistaken assumption that I had somehow as a four-year-old made it to the park alone. I was then on high alert. I tried to start playing again, but all the joy of the day had been sucked out by this creep. I went down a slide only to see that he had skulked over to me like a wraith, watching, waiting. I couldn't bear the tension or the fear, so I ran as fast as possible back to the safety of my father in the car. I jumped into the seat, head down so as to keep me hidden from his view. I told my dad I was ready to go back to my great-grandmother's house and was relieved as we started pulling away. My curiosity took over and I peeked my head above the back seat of the car and looked out the back window. He was there, looking directly at me and making a come-here motion with his fingers, all the while smiling. I ducked even lower and remained that way until we arrived back at my grandparents' home. I have no reason why I failed to tell anyone what had happened, maybe a fear that it would somehow bring me closer to him or that I wouldn't be believed. I then forgot about this strange man or at least didn't think that I would be seeing him again. Flash forward to 1986, my parents and I moved into a low-rent apartment. I am fine at first, everything's normal. I then noticed one day that our neighbors had moved out and that a new neighbor had moved in. One guess as to who it was. Everything came back to me in a flash. I freaked out but for some reason kept it all in, not saying a word to anyone. I tried to avoid him and hoped that he wouldn't remember me from that brief moment a few years before. I was sadly mistaken. As soon as he saw me, I saw a look of recognition on his narrow face. I didn't play alone after that. As a matter of fact, I didn't go outside really unless my parents were with me. Several months had passed and of course I was still on the defense of just waiting for the worst to happen. One day though I noticed something odd. He had a boy with him, roughly my age and clearly scared. The child was rarely seen and when seen the man had a firm grasp on him at all times. My mother, not apparently picking up on the fact that this man was a sick freak, in my mind the boogeyman, told me that I should go next door to his apartment and ask to play with what she thought was his son. No, never even thought of doing such an absurd thing and refused without telling her why. I remember seeing the boy a few times over the course of what had been weeks and I always remember the look on his face. The fact that he wanted to tell me something, that he was afraid, it haunts me to this day and even though I was just a child I'm still filled with guilt for not saying anything. It was because I was afraid, afraid for my life, afraid of whatever that strange monster of a man wanted to do with me and boys like me. I last saw the boy in the man's car. It was an old ice cream colored 60s model. The boy was crying and looked out of his mind. I stored this memory away and hid it, the darkest of the moment too big for my childlike mind to understand. Eventually the beast moved away and soon after we did as well. I was growing up, years had passed. I was a big boy, or so I thought. Third grade, maybe, and my parents had just taken pictures of me playing, being a kid, just regular family stuff. The man was lost in my memories, fading slowly, but of course never fully forgotten. The photos were developed by a local grocer, 
They were picked up and looked over and left on the dash of my parents' car. We then went to the park in my city, and it was summer. My parents and I got out of the car and did a tour of the park. The car windows were left down, no reason to suspect anything foul happening. I remember we were at the top of the park on a large rocky hill and looking down, wouldn't you know who was there? The man, dressed in a long coat again but much shabbier, trash eating, looking quite disheveled and dirty. I remember being afraid but happy in a strange way at seeing him so down and out, homeless and hungry. The guy then saunters over to my parents' car and looks in, reaches for something and makes off. It was the photos of me. My parents yelled and were upset, but as mentioned earlier, we were way above him. The hill we were on turned onto a sheer cliff. The drop was at least 30 feet. You would have to walk completely back around to catch him. My father tries, but by the time he got to the car, the fiend was gone. My dad came back to us. We drove home, my parents chalking it up to random chance. They had no memory of this man. They only saw a mental case homeless and lost. I processed the whole thing and freaked knowing that he was still so close. Years had gone by and, of course, naturally, me think that he was gone or dead or at least not able to magically appear where I was and steal my photos. It was now 1989 and we live in a different house, same city. I'm much bigger and, of course, more aware of the world, the positives and the negatives. It was summer, my parents had spent a late night with their longtime friends. It was about one in the morning before we began making our way back home. I was wide awake, staring out the window, eating up the world's visuals with my eyes, and all of a sudden out of nowhere was the stranger, once again dressed in the same get-up as before. I almost shrieked in the back seat, but instead remained quiet and hid praying that he didn't see me. I did notice, though, that he was walking rather quickly as if he was on a mission to bring fear into the hearts of children everywhere. My parents take notice and comment on how odd it is that he's dressed in a winter coat and hat in the summertime, but don't seem to realize that this is the same man we'd seen seemingly out of nowhere countless times before. I believe that it, he didn't see me and I sat up again as we made our way up to the street. We then saw her, a 13 or 14 year old girl crying and running like her life depended on it, she kept looking back, looking for someone or something. I knew what she was looking for and I was afraid for her. I remember my parents asking if she needed help, a ride. She flatly refused any help and kept running. I don't know what she thought we were up to, but I'm guessing whatever the man said to her put true fear into her heart and she wasn't going to trust anyone or anything at that moment. I never had another incident with this dark version of Inspector Gadget and, at times, wonder what became of him. I sometimes feel the need to research the newspapers, internet, old phone books, anything to discover who he was and what he may have done to the boy I saw and maybe others. I usually begin looking but never find anything substantial. That may be by an unconscious choice though, as opposed to anything else. For starters, I'm a 17-year-old girl from Colorado. Now, my dad's side of the family all have farms in Minnesota, built on land that was heavily populated by Native Americans well over a century ago. 
We know this because we found boxes on top of boxes of Native American artifacts, including tons of arrows and spearheads, ceremonial jewelry and pottery shards, tapping stones and more. Every year during spring planting, the tractors bring up more. We have experienced paranormal happenings on our land, but I'm only there so often, so I've only experienced a very small handful of things that I couldn't explain away. For the most part, while I am a Christian and a believer of the paranormal and supernatural, I like to find logical explanations to things. I'm often very curious, and it takes a lot to scare me. I've been through enough stuff already to have lost most of my fear, but this year especially has been testing me on all levels. I had to fly back to Minnesota, which is where I really call home, the Wednesday after Memorial Day because my grandpa passed away on Memorial Day morning. His death honestly shocked us all. He was stubborn and strong, and despite his disabilities and illnesses, he always pulled through when he got sick and was determined to return to the farm. But I guess he just couldn't take it anymore and passed away peacefully at home, surrounded by his wife and kids. He wanted all of his grandkids, including myself, to be at his funeral, so I flew in as soon as possible, leaving my life responsibilities in Colorado. My mom was nice enough to come with me, even though my parents divorced when I was a toddler. She just stayed at a hotel and out of her way for the most part, even though we invited her to grandpa's wake and funeral. My mom wanted me to connect with my Minnesota family more than ever. So the night of the day I flew in, my aunt offered to take me to my Uncle A's place for something to do. My Uncle A just lives a quarter mile up the road from my grandma's farm or across the field from it. Grandma's farm is visible from Uncle A's house and I could easily walk to and fro the houses. When I got there, my uncle almost immediately gave me a 22 caliber rifle and a Mountain Dew soda and complained to me about his growing blackbird problem. He said he'd give me a buck of birds, so I agreed to go out there and shoot. It was getting dark and the sights on the rifle were off, so I didn't get anything at all except for leaves and sky. If the sights on the rifle were good, I would have made five bucks at night at least. My uncle had found his other twenty-two rifle with the good sights, but by then it was too dark to differentiate the blackbirds from the robins, and it's illegal to shoot robins in the state of Minnesota. So to pass the time, my uncle set up a pyramid of old soda and beer cans, and also balanced a few gallon caps on a gallon of laundry detergent for us to shoot at. My little cousins came out with their bows and BB guns, so my uncle and I would take turns showing the boys how to shoot their weapons and fired our twenty-twos as well. We were having a very good time, and I had almost forgotten the main reason why I was in Minnesota in the first place. My cousins had gone down to the basement walkout where my aunt and uncle's wife were sitting. Meanwhile, my uncle and I continued shooting our twenty-twos when my uncle suddenly commanded me to stop shooting. He was tracking something with his finger. What is that? My uncle shouted under his breath. What is that? I asked alarmed. I squinted to see what my uncle was tracking and then I saw it. From our standpoint, we could see across many young fields over rolling hills. If you look to the left, you could see grandmas and if you look to the right, you could see several more farms dotting the fields. If you look straight ahead, You'd see the side of a large hill with a field on it, and, and just ahead of that hill was a small grove of trees that also lined our property. The creature my uncle was pointing at 
was running parallel to the horizon and would eventually run across that hillside, which was no more than a quarter mile away from us. It was hauling it, running as fast or faster than a racehorse. The creature was solid black, very large and slender with a small head, extremely long and thin legs and no visible tail. At first we thought it was a deer, but it was too slender and black to be a deer. Then I suggested it was a Great Dane or perhaps a horse, but no one in our area has a black Great Dane or any big black dog for that matter, nor does anyone have a black horse, and the way this creature was running, it didn't look like either of those. It was about the size of a horse, but it ran a bit like a deer with a spring in its step. It had a hunched back and legs that were long and skinny like twigs, and its head was pretty small. It looked like a greyhound, but much, much larger, and it looked a bit distorted and twisted too. I don't really know how to explain that, I just knew it was pretty messed up. I could tell the front of it was larger than its back, like its ribcage jutted out a bit, and while its front legs were almost like long human arms, and its back legs were like a deer's, only a bit more meaty than that, and its hip bones seemed to jut out a bit like hips on a Holstein cow. It was galloping and gaining speed like it was on the hunt, but we didn't see what it was hunting down. I didn't get nervous until it banked our way and charged into the thin line of trees separating our property from the neighbors. This line was two trees thick at the most, and the trees were oak trees no older than 20 years old. We should have been able to see the thing stop, especially since it was no more than 300 feet away when it ran into the trees, but we didn't see nor hear anything. Plus, even when it came close, other than its size, there was nothing very clear about it. It was just slender, long-legged, puny head, and didn't have any visible tail. My uncle's wife suddenly called our attention, asking what we were seeing, and said we were scaring my little cousins. My uncle described it just as I did, and I confirmed because she thought it we were all just messing around. My uncle and I stayed in our places and rifles loaded and ready, and stared at those trees for a good ten minutes, occasionally glancing at each other, and saw nothing exit nor heard anything move. It was a windless, quiet night, so we could almost hear everything, including the cows nearby over a mile away. Needless to say, we were both pretty freaked out and I spent some time on my phone that night looking up various things to see if I could come up with a rational explanation for what we saw. I found nothing, except for skinwalker stories and descriptions, which fit the creature we saw perfectly. I've heard of skinwalkers before and many stories, but never really believed they existed. Even if they did, I thought they were only in the southwestern states, but... I guess they can appear anywhere. What do you guys think? I'm open to possible explanations, similar experiences, and other ideas. I don't usually share paranormal stories, but what happened that Wednesday night will definitely stick with me. I'm going to remind everyone that many things I've experienced could have had an explanation to them, and I am 100% open to skepticism. I am only retelling my story exactly how it happened to me. Whether or not you believe it was paranormal is up to you. Feel free to discuss your feelings about it with me or others in the comments. The Shadow People 
whenever I'm experiencing anger or tension in my life, I encounter and see what can only be described as shadow people. When I was 15 years old, my mother and I would constantly be at each other's necks. The reason why is long and personal, but just know that we are not seeing eye to eye at all. Every day there would be an indescribable tension in the house, just waiting for that spark that would start the hour-long yelling match between us. This was the worst it had ever been, and an odd side effect of this constant anger were the shadow people. They would usually appear in my room at night. It all started with two. I would see them standing in the middle of my room. They were hazy, like smoke. They had empty, white, blank spaces for eyes where some of their hazy bodies parted. They also had unnaturally long necks that would span almost to my ceiling. The two shadow people would usually just watch me. I can't really tell you I reacted too dramatically. I would always just cover my head with my blanket, too afraid to do anything or believing that I was seeing things. As the situation with my mom got worse, I found myself unnaturally angry all the time. I got to the point where I would start to have literal murderous thoughts that I wanted to act on whenever someone even tried to talk to me or was near me. As I continued to become more irrationally angry every day, I would see the shadow people every night to the point in which I would just ignore them. After about a month of this happening, everything came to a chilling end one night. I was jolted awake by what sounded like the clang of a metal object hitting something hollow. There's nothing in my room that could have fallen to produce a noise like that, so I sluggishly assumed I had imagined the sound. However, something wasn't right. I felt hot all over. I was literally sweating through my shirt. I could also feel something right on the side of my face, like a hot breath. I was lying on my left side facing my room, which appeared empty. Determined not to let what I assumed was my imagination scare me, I got out of bed and stood up. I walked to my dresser and checked the time on my phone, which I think was about 3am. What happened next makes me so incredibly uncomfortable to even remember. I looked towards my bed, ready to crawl back in, and hovering inches away from where I was just laying is a large, misty, humanoid figure. I froze in shock. All of my other sightings of the shadow people did not compare to this. I had brushed off my other experiences with them as being tired, dreaming, or seeing things, but this thing was right in front of me. I was fully conscious and standing about three feet away from this thing. As I stared at it, I could hear a low hum coming from it. It was like a mixture between deep growl and a man humming in a deep voice. I was holding my breath and all at once my body seemed to move without my control. I leaped toward my bedroom door, threw it open, and then slammed it behind me. I'm surprised I didn't wake my family. I just stood with my back to the door in the dim light of the hallway, even though my knees were shaking. I was far too afraid to sit down in fear I would leave myself vulnerable to that thing if it came after me. I don't know how long I stood outside my room. Eventually, stumbled downstairs and slept on the couch in the TV room. In the morning, when I went back upstairs to investigate my room, whatever I had seen was gone. After that night, I slowly stopped seeing the shadow people and things between my mother and I unexpectedly improved. I have no idea what that thing was and I cannot explain it at all. I personally feel like whatever that thing and the shadow people were, they must have been attracted by my anger 
and maybe they were feeding on or feeding me anger. I seriously don't know. Maybe it was all a stress-induced hallucination, or maybe I was dreaming the whole time. Maybe I was just so tired that my mind played tricks on me. I have considered all of these things and I honestly still cannot explain what happened that night. There are a few things I've experienced since then that have lived up to the terror I felt from seeing that thing hover over where I just slept, watching me sleep, and literally breathing down my neck. Ever since I was a small child, I was talking about aliens. Aliens this, aliens that. I spoke about them all the time, even though I never really knew what they were. My uncle and cousin would say, Hey Wyatt, what sounds do the aliens make? And they'd make some weird noises and they'd all laugh. I would stargaze every night. I lived in the country so I could easily see the stars. I wanted a space-themed room. I got those glow-in-the-dark stars that you put on your walls and they leave that residue when you try to peel them off. You know the ones. My covers had planets on them. I got a telescope for my fifth or sixth birthday. But the strange thing is that my parents never talked about aliens. They never talked about space. It was a fascination that I came up with on my own. Then it's like one day something changed. All of a sudden, I was terrified of aliens. My cousins would taunt me and prank me by pretending to be aliens or by pretending to see UFOs. I would cry and start to go into a state of panic, and don't even get me started about the movie E.T. Years and years passed and I was 15. I didn't have the same obsession and fear of space or aliens. It was something that I had grown out of. Until one day, I saw something. My bed was right next to my window so when the moon was full you could see the light pour onto the opposite wall. I was on the second story, so nothing could climb up there without a ladder. My window opened up to the roof, which was flat, so someone could walk out of my window and stand on it. I was fifteen, fast asleep in bed. It was a full moon. I woke up immediately, terrified. I could feel a presence, a presence that I was afraid of. I kept my eyes closed, because... I knew that if I opened my eyes, I would see something that would scare me, but I eventually built up the courage and opened my eyes. Like I said earlier, during full moons, the light from the window would reflect on the opposite wall. When I opened my eyes, I saw two humanoid shadows. The way the shadows were positioned, I could tell that they were outside my window, looking inside, looking at me. I was so afraid, I just stared in fear until I eventually fell back asleep. Listen, I live in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky. My family doesn't have much money, so it wouldn't make sense for someone to rob our house. That's why I don't think it was human invaders. You'd think that's where the story ends, but it gets way worse. So a year passes and I'm 16. I was tired, so I was going to go to bed. I walked in my room, looked at my clock. It was around 11.16 p.m. I remember this very clearly. I prepared my bed and I lied down, but as soon as I lied down, boom, I couldn't move. I've had sleep paralysis before, but never this quick. It was instant this time. My eyes were open, my arms were hanging off my bed. I could hear my door creak open, and light began to enter parts of my room. I thought it was our dog, Trooper, who decided to come into my room. I was so relieved because I thought 
If I can get Trooper to lick my hand hanging off the bed, then I'll be able to move again. So I tried to whisper, Trooper, Trooper. And then the room went completely dark. I felt cold, wet breath against my ear, and then I heard a terrible, terrible voice. It was high-pitched and it spoke gibberish, super-fast gibberish. All of a sudden I could move. I burst out of bed screaming my head off. My room was empty, no monster. I looked at my clock, it was 3.45am. I didn't even go to sleep. It only felt like I was in bed for a minute or two. I don't know what that creature was, but based off my past experiences, I think it could have been an extraterrestrial. This is kind of a weird thing for me to talk about, purely because our family moved out of this house in about 2013, and it's just something that we never really talked about when we moved out. To start this off, we moved from a loud and quite bad neighborhood into a private house in a small part of an industrial estate in 2008, and the good part was, these houses were fairly new in comparison to old buildings, so there wasn't any problems. The house itself was laid out as compact as it could get with both me and my brother suffering from closet rooms, aka tiny rooms that could barely fit a single bed in. The first thing that I guess could contribute to this slew of weird occurrences was the fact that my father was slowly getting worse off job-wise, as he was a private taxi driver at first, which did get some money for us to live off of, but the money just kept dwindling over time, to the point that we could barely live off the money that he was bringing into us. Sometimes... He would be bringing back under 40 pounds a night, and even on occasion, he would come back with only one ride's pay. Obviously, this started causing quite a lot of arguing with my parents. The only thing that makes me question this as something that could be a catalyst as to what happens later on is the fact that my dad was doing well in this job before he moved to this house. Sure, it isn't the best of jobs to have, but there were barely any days that my dad would come home with basically no money but it was becoming more and more common as the months passed when we moved into this house. Another strange occurrence is that my dog Gracie had this one place in our kitchen right next to the entrance of it which she started to dig at constantly for about 5-10 to 10 minutes each time. We found it pretty funny at first as her digging motions were just hilarious because she was a fluffy dumb dog. It only started becoming more weird when it got to the point where Gracie was leaving so many scratch marks on the floor and made us realize just how much she's digging at this spot in particular, and that's when we started entertaining the idea that there could be something underneath us. But this was kind of just a, oh, so spooky joke between our family basically. Now thinking back on this makes me a bit unnerved because whilst I was in primary school, and I first moved to the town, I was told that the houses that me and her lived in are built on graves, aka a burial ground. Now I don't know if this is true because, like I said, I was told in primary school and we're all quite young children at this point who believe anything is spooky. Some time passes, about two years if I can remember correctly, and my mom starts complaining about getting headaches and them not going away, and I'm not going to lie. I didn't really pay her any mind because headaches shouldn't really be that big of a deal, you know. They pass after some time. 
The only problem is my mom's headaches didn't really pass. They just got worse. Now, my mom is the kind of person who avoids going to the doctors for things that are deemed unnecessary in her head, as she doesn't want to burden them with something that should pass, but it literally became months that she was weak and having terrible migraines, and she wasn't doing anything about it until one time she was walking down the stairs as I was walking to go to the kitchen, and as we crossed, she told me she really didn't feel well and her nose started bleeding. Obviously at this point, we all made her go to the doctor and find out immediately what was wrong with her. My mom went through a lot of stuff with the doctor and even had blood tests and scans done to possibly find out what was wrong with my mom, only for them to be stumped and basically tell my mom that they don't know what is wrong with her and how to treat her as her blood tests were showing a fine and there was nothing coming up on the scans so for all the doctors knew, they basically thought she was A-OK when obviously me and my family knew that she clearly wasn't. This went on for a while, my mom going back and forth to the doctors with no improvement yet not really much of a decline, just a steady constant migraine. So that's the part with my mom happening. Another strange occurrence that I can point out is that once, all of us were sat in the living room together watching a movie when we all jumped because of a big bang and one of the patio doors behind us just completely shattered, but still stayed within the frame of the door, but there was literally no point of impact on the glass to show that it had been hit. The dogs were in the room with us too, so they couldn't have possibly have been suspect, and there was no one in our back garden as far as we knew, as it was broad daylight, and we always had a view in the back garden from the couches, so we would have seen. Fast forward a little more, and this is when things started getting uncomfortable for me. I have only ever had sleep paralysis three times in my life, and two of those times happened in that house, and the scariest things I've ever been through. I laid in bed and just stared at the ceiling thinking about life, and that was the biggest mistake I've genuinely ever made. I remember just hearing a weird ringing in my ears, and feeling the door of my room opening up more, and that was when the instant what is going on, get up and look, mantras started playing in my head, but I just couldn't move at all. The only thing I could do was just stare at the ceiling as I was doing and, my god, whatever it was I was feeling approaching me started coming up from the bottom of my bed, and as it got onto the bottom of my bed, I felt the bed dip, so much to the point that I felt like my back was straining from how bent my legs were supposedly being placed and it just didn't stop. It then kept coming closer to the top of the bed, and the only way I knew this was because the dips in the bed were closer to me. The strongest fear I felt was when it finally stopped moving, but I really wish it didn't because it was literally lying down next to me, staring at me, but I couldn't physically see it. I could heavily feel it. I felt that huge dip in the bed next to me, and I felt it move. This terrified me so much when I woke up that I couldn't sleep in that room or on my own for a little while. The reason why this is sticking out to me is because, like I said, I've had sleep paralysis one time before this had happened and it just didn't feel the same. This experience that I had just had some weird air about it and I hated it. I did say it happened twice but the second time of this happening was a lot weaker due to me knowing that this is all just sleep paralysis and I woke up by wiggling my toes. 
And here I only put two and two together until years after we left this house, and I started thinking about it and connecting a few dots. My brother once told me that he refused to sleep in my room after he had a bad nightmare when sleeping in there. Obviously, I questioned him about it, like, hey, I kind of want to know why you find my room spooky, and man, I really wish I didn't. I genuinely wish I didn't even piece these two together because it made my heart sink. Basically, my brother had a nightmare in my room where he was staring into our bathroom as it was easy to do whilst in my bedroom, and the shower curtain was pulled over. What was horrifying, though, is that there was a tall, weird thing staring at my brother over the top of the shower curtain, and it just stared and stared until it slowly pulled the shower curtain over and made its way over to my room. My brother told me that as soon as whatever it was got to the door of my room, that he immediately woke up and was terrified. Now, the reason why this almost made me crap myself when I was thinking over these things is how my sleep paralysis starts out. It's basically the ending of my brother's nightmare continuing. After a year or two before we moved out of this house on the 2nd of September on my first day of year 7, our dog Gracie had a tragic accident. But everything about this accident just screams suspicious. Gracie was a super healthy dog and she was only 2 years old but showed no signs of being possibly unhealthy or having any problems in the future of her life. But this whole crap show happened in the span of about two days possibly, maybe even less. Gracie started vomiting and pooping out blood to the point that it was making puddles in the floor and she could do nothing but hide under our couch shaking because she didn't understand what was happening and clearly neither could we. We were all shocked. Panicked, upset, and just didn't know what to do because it wouldn't stop so we raced her to the SPDSA. We immediately had to give her in and they said she will have to stay overnight so they can find out what's wrong. Gracie died that night in isolation. One thing that stuck out and still does to this day is what they said about her death. They treated Gracie for a super fatal dog disease named Parvo and Gracie died due to toxic shock from the treatment they gave her and that they're sorry but they didn't possibly know what was wrong with our dog if it wasn't Parvo. Sound familiar? my mom being extremely ill with nosebleeds and the doctors don't know what possibly was wrong with that. My mom then became super upset and finally somewhat suspicious of the house and chalked it up to the fact that the carbon monoxide poisoning might be the suspect here. I have quite a few questionable thoughts about that due to the fact that my mom was the only one who was seriously ill and showing these signs whilst everyone else was okay. Even so, we had moved out before we even checked the house for carbon monoxide poisoning, and well, I guess I'm just glad I left that house, but I still do have lots of weird thoughts about it. I think that this house just had a bad omen about it, and I low-key worry about the people who have moved into it now because there's definitely just something off about that house, and I think as much as my mom denies it, it has completely impacted her as she's now looking up things like feng shui for our home, and also kicked up a lot of crap because the new house we moved into is number 13. But I think this house is pretty great considering my mom is in great health now, and my parents both have really high-paying jobs working together, and even my brother is getting on with his life great now too. Basically, just wanted to ask what your guys' thoughts might be. Do you think I'm just being too suspicious, or do you think that something weird was going on?
in that house. I have experienced a lot of paranormal activity and I've seen ghosts all my life. It's nothing new to me, but it still scares the crap out of me. One night I was walking home from work. This was about the summertime about a year ago. I got off the bus and I had to walk about eight blocks to my house, so as I walk, I end up walking by an elementary school and it was nighttime. I'm walking, listening to my music on my phone with my headphones in my ears. That's all I could hear. I can't remember what I was listening to, but I'm walking and walking and all of a sudden my phone starts acting weird like it started buffering a lot more than usual and I have a good plan and the music wouldn't play. My phone was acting out of control. My phone would go to different sites, different apps randomly and all of a sudden my phone turned off. I tried to turn on my phone, nothing would happen. All of a sudden I felt something behind me. I was too scared to turn around because, I mean, it wasn't a bad feeling, but it was just a feeling of knowing that a human or somebody wasn't behind me, but I felt the presence behind me, if you know what I mean. So before I got to turn my body all the way around to see who was there, there was a strange, foggy, yet beautifully smoky orb just floating next to me, and it kept floating past me, and it wasn't too bright or too noticeable if you were far enough away, but I felt like as soon as it appeared I had this strange feeling that I was totally safe. I saw this orb or whatever it was, and it was just floating casually, just floating by, and when I really looked at it, it had like a really pretty smoky indica kind of blue color mixed with it, like a silvery gray, and it was really smoky looking. But I can't really describe it, but it was pretty in my own eyes. So I watched it float for a good, not even a minute or so, and then it totally vanished, and I swear after that my phone turned on and was back to normal. This is just one of my little experiences that I've had. One of my dogs is acting really strange lately. I've been working from home a lot lately, two to three days per week, and I've noticed some weird behavior out of my mail, hardly. And this all came to kind of a pinnacle on Friday, and has continued over the weekend and today. I've noticed this doesn't happen when my wife is at home, so either whatever is going on is only active in the mornings and early afternoons, or it has something to do with her being absent. Normally, Harley is very laid back and a very chill dog. Normally he just wants to be around and hang out. Very low energy dog. So the latest stuff he's doing is very out of character for him. We have noticed that he likes to be under our bed during the day. He's always been a burrowing type of dog. He's been napping under our bed during the day ever since we moved into this house two years ago. So that isn't out of the ordinary. But lately... He's been going into these really bad barking and growling and whining fits while under the bed. It honestly sounds like he's fighting and when I'm here and this is going on, I'll go in to check on him and he's fine, just noticeably freaked out about something. Friday, for example, I thought maybe he was stuck under the bed. He sounded so panicked I thought there was legitimately something wrong. So I went up there and coaxed him up to the top of the bed and... He just curled up against me under the blankets and whined and shivered. 
So I brought him and his bed and a blanket into my office and put him under my desk and he was fine for the rest of the day. Saturday, the wife was out gardening and I was doing some work. I work in IT and weekend work is common and Harley was under the bed again. Started freaking out. Same thing. I got him out from under the bed and he just whined and shivered until I took him outside with the wife. Sunday, similar thing. Except he wouldn't come out from under the bed at all. No treats, offers for walks or playtime or toys or anything would get him out from under there until the wife came home from whatever she was doing. Now, today, this is what's going on. Same thing with the under the bed freakouts. Except when I can get him out from under the bed, he takes a single glance at the ceiling, tucks his ears and his tail like someone is shouting at him, and hauls it back under the bed. I've been able to get him outside and he's fine when he's outside, that's where he is right now. But if I open the door for him to come in, he will get about halfway into the door, glances at the ceiling and tucks his ears and tail and runs back out into the yard. He won't come inside anymore. Now, I'm pretty skeptical with paranormal stuff, but this all started around the same time that I've noticed some other weird stuff going on around here. For example, my tools are constantly being moved around. I have my toolbox in the garage very neatly organized and I will go in there to find something and it will be in the wrong drawer entirely. I've just attributed that to the wife using the tools and not putting them back in their spots. Or I'll go downstairs into my man cave and all the lights will be on. Again, I attribute this to being forgetful about it. Or another thing, I have a server rack in my basement that has my media server and my networking equipment for the house and my home theater equipment for my man cave in it. On top of it, I have a monitor connected to the media server when I need physical access to it. This monitor says powered off 99% of the time and the past few weeks, every time I go down there, the monitor is on. Same thing with it. I assume maybe I've forgotten to turn it off or some process is powering it on or something. I don't know. I've also been woken up in the night 100% sure I'm hearing footsteps and voices in the house. There have even been times where the wife has heard it too and I've gone through the house with my gun while she called the police. Nothing found. No signs of a break-in or anything. I found cabinet and pantry doors open in the kitchen, and finally at least twice the water in the master bedroom faucet is turned on on its own, and I don't mean water leaked from the faucet, the handles were turned and water was following. This all has occurred within the last two to three months or so. I can easily dismiss a lot of this stuff, but with my dog now doing what he's doing, I'm getting a tad worried. I'm starting to run out of excuses for this stuff. Who do I call for things like this? My mother passed away two weeks ago and this Saturday is the last day we'll be in her apartment. We rented it for 16 years and it was the main family hub for holidays and everything else. We've also had a lot of loss here. Three cats passed away, the most recent mama cat last summer shortly before I moved out, as well as two dogs. Even before my mom passed, she claimed to experience a lot in the apartment, like feelings of being touched or unusual sounds. She was a very spiritual person and believed that several loved ones were here with her, including when she passed, also here at home in hospice care. My sisters are firm believers in spiritual religious matters as well and 
believe they've seen several signs from mom so far here and while out and about. Things like her favorite songs coming on the radio at certain times, her favorite channel freezing but all the other channels remaining normal, and that kind of thing. They find a lot of comfort in the idea that she's communicating with us, so even if I don't necessarily believe the same thing, I don't want to say otherwise. For my part, I've been consistently hearing what I believe to be Mama Cat in the apartment. She has a distinctive chirping meow and was very talkative when she was alive. While moving things out, I've heard her in other rooms and just now when unlocking the door, I could swear I heard her on the other side of the door, already greeting me like she used to do when I lived here. Whether or not it's real, I'm just trying to also take solace in the idea that we're being given signs that mom is okay, but I'm worried about what will happen when we leave on Saturday. I think my mom's spirit, if she's here, has no problems with staying with the family, but I'm concerned that our pets wouldn't know where to go. I hate the idea that this is the last place for Mama Cat to be and that we're leaving here. I don't want her to be stuck, if that makes sense. I'm not usually such a firm believer in the supernatural to the point where I'm scared about these things, but I'm wondering if anyone has any advice or words of comfort for when you leave a place that experienced a lot of loss. I'm afraid that if I try to seek out any spirits here intentionally and invite them to come home with me, I won't have any idea what I'm bringing with me. I am definitely superstitious and have tried hard not to provide or meddle in any spiritual matters, even if I might not truly believe they exist. I was home alone and in my bedroom, sitting at my vanity and doing my makeup. The bedroom doors on the wall that's adjacent to the wall that my vanity is pushed up against, so when the door is open I can see it behind me in the mirror. The door wasn't open very wide, maybe a foot or less. I finish up and turn to leave the room, stepping toward the door that is slightly open. As I reached out for the doorknob, the door suddenly closed so that there was no gap between the door and door jamb, but hadn't fully clicked shut. This caused me to hesitate for a split second because I knew I was home alone and at first it seemed as if though it had been pulled shut since it happened so quickly, but I wrote it off as my movement somehow creating a gust of wind that caused the door to move. As I reached out again a second time, the door clicked shut. I grabbed the doorknob and tried to twist it and to my horror, it wouldn't move. My blood immediately ran cold because my first thought was that someone was on the other side holding my door shut. To clarify, it has no lock. I tried turning my doorknob and pulling for what felt like maybe 10 seconds and my heart was pounding in my chest when suddenly the doorknob turned and I yanked my door open. I looked into the hall relieved to see nobody was in front of me and called out for my parents but they still weren't home. I ran down the hall, looked in each room and ran all through the house just to make sure nobody had broken in but all of the doors were locked as I'd left them and the windows were all closed. I ended up running upstairs and opening my door to about how wide it had been before and started trying to replicate my movements to see if walking, rushing toward the door somehow caused it to close on its own, but nothing produced these results. All of the windows were definitely closed so it couldn't have been a draft unless the AC suddenly picked up, but the part that definitely freaks me out and got my heart racing was when it clicked shut that second time 
and I couldn't turn the knob. It literally felt like someone was holding the door closed. I'm sure it could have easily been something like the doorknob jamming, but all of that together with the door seemingly moving on its own twice had me sitting in the living room for the rest of the day in case I felt the need to make a run for it. Recently, I've had just a lot of strange things happen to me. My house has always creeped me out. I've always felt something in my house, and I've always felt watched. That was nothing new, but recently it's been amplified. It's so much worse. I'm scared to go downstairs. I'm scared to go down the hallway without a light on. I'm terrified of my own home. I hear noises outside my window, inside, under my bed, behind my bed, outside my door, and other rooms that are empty and all of those noises have no explanation. My cats stay in my room on the foot of my bed. I don't have a rodent problem. I do live in an old house. It's clean. Nothing raggedy or worn down about it, but it is old. I guess it was called a plantation house or something, but I'm not sure. I've also noticed on top of the noises, things are being moved. I remember I was looking for my flat iron and, I mean, I looked everywhere for the thing. No one else in my house uses a flat iron and no one else has been in my packed bag or in my room at all. I looked inside my bag. I took everything out, unfolded everything, couldn't find it in there. I looked around the outlet I would normally plug it into and it wasn't there either. I looked everywhere and tore my room apart and I couldn't find it. I picked things up, said what they were and put them down just to make sure I wasn't overlooking it. Still hadn't found it. I woke up the next day. It was at the outlet I had definitely checked earlier. I've had shirts that I've folded or hung up disappear. I've had books, notebooks, shoes get moved from one place to another that have no reason to be where they are moved. My cats have been acting weird as well. They're normally sweet, cuddly, clingy like normal cat personalities. Recently they've been staring absolutely everywhere. It terrifies me because they would stare right behind me with these ginormous dilated eyes like they were seeing something they were terrified of. Sometimes they'll be walking in my room and completely spaz out like something was grabbing them or touched their leg. I also like to mention I don't have a flea problem. I considered it. I looked through their hair. I didn't see any fleas and I hadn't seen any around the house either. They're inside cats but... Regardless, I got some flea medicine just in case. Nothing's changed. They'll stare around my room and scatter around like something spooked them. They'll scatter into my room. They'll scamper out of my room like something scared them off. I've been having some weird dreams, but normally weird dreams are pretty average for me if I've ever remember them. I made a post about a dream I had earlier this week that's been kind of scary, but that's about it. If anybody has any clue of what's going on, please... Let me know. We're a Middle Eastern family. My dad left his home country and fled to Saudi Arabia to work there, went back after making some money and got married in his home country and went back to Saudi with his wife. My mom gave birth to her first son in the early 90s and then they had another three kids in the late 90s three sons and a daughter. I was the youngest. We live in an annex, an apartment at the top of the building that takes around 25% of the roof of the building. 
The rest of the roof is a large area filled with TV satellites and other junk. My parents were quite discreet about all the shady things that happened in that apartment until we grew up and they became more open about it. The apartment had three bedrooms, a living room, two bathrooms, and a very tiny wooden attic and small kitchen. There's no major story here, it's just a bunch of creepy encounters with me and my family that we've witnessed, and I'll write them down, in no particular order. I used to sleep in the bunk bed with my older brother being at the top, until he asked me to switch with him, and I liked it at first, but then I realized that my brother didn't switch with me for no reason. After a while, whenever we would go to bed every night at around 11pm, I kept hearing some noise on the ladder of the bed, like someone is climbing it. I never had the guts to look. Sometimes I would feel the presence and pressure of someone sitting on the bed too, but by then I've developed this technique where I would just cover my whole body with the blanket and force myself to sleep. I told my mom and she responded, there's nothing, just be a real man and sleep. I would also hear kids laughing in the living room, which is next to our bedroom, but I grew to ignore those voices and eventually it stopped bothering me. I remember a few nights where the neighbors would knock on our door at 3am and they'd ask my parents to not let us ride our bikes on the roof because it's disturbing them. My parents apologized to them even though we were all asleep and there was no one on the roof riding their bikes. I knew that there was something wrong with that place when I noticed that our bicycles were in different places in the roof the next morning and there's no way anyone can go to the roof and play around because the door was locked and the only person who had the locks were my father. My siblings knew about this too, but they didn't talk to me about it, because I was the youngest and they didn't want to scare me. We moved back to our home country because my dad wanted to start some business over there and we stayed there for three years. That was when my dad decided we should go back to Saudi Arabia. It was so hard to find an apartment and our apartment had already been rented to a couple. But there was an empty apartment on the first floor in the same building and my dad took it because it was the closest to his workshop. I thought that this time it'll be all normal, but on the contrary it was way worse than that annex. After just one week, I woke up around 4am to the sound of the sunrise prayer, and as soon as I opened my eyes there was someone sitting next to me, wearing worn out clothes with broken eyeglasses and bloodstains all over his shirt. He was rubbing his hands on my blanket. I looked at him and he smiled. That was the scariest moment of my whole life. I felt like I was about to be hurt. It wasn't sleep paralysis, because believe me, I know the difference. I lied my head back and I probably passed out till the next morning. When I told my mom, she said it was just a bad dream. Whatever. And no one at my school believed me. It was like a funny thing for them to do, to make me talk about what I've seen, just to laugh about it. The next day, I woke up at the exact same time. This time there was no one on my bed, but... I saw a guy wearing weird gothic kind of clothes and he was next to my sister, playing with her hair. I haven't seen anything else after that, but I always heard people talking in the room, more like hisses and whistles. Sometimes someone would breathe in my ears while I'm asleep, sometimes they'd take my pillow away, but that was it, they never truly hurt us. I find it fun to talk about it right now. My sister was friends, kind of, with our neighbor's daughter. She was with her in school. She told me some creepy things about their family, things I hadn't given much attention to at the time because I was young, 
and I think they had something to do with all these shady things. They never closed their apartment door. It's always open. Always. My sister also told me that she once saw her friend bathing with her clothes on, and she always smelled so bad. She also told me that the bathroom lock would be unlocked in our apartment sometimes when she's showering. My oldest brother said that he would usually see my mom wandering in the house while he's pretty sure she was asleep in the bedroom, and when he asked her, she'd say that she was asleep. My other brother said that he once saw two shadows dancing on the wall in the living room. My mom opened up about it a few years ago and told me that sometimes she would check on us while we were asleep, and she'd see us playing in the living room at the same time. She also said that every couple of months she would ask my dad to buy new cups and glasses because they would go missing for no reason. She said she never knew what was going on and neither did my dad, but they didn't want to acknowledge it because they didn't want us to be afraid and my dad couldn't afford to move to another place. She also said that some of my sister's dolls would be scattered around the house sometimes. She told me that she once saw a man with a long beard in the corridor and that she ran to her bedroom and locked the door till my dad came back from work. She told me that when she was at the hospital, before giving birth to me, my dad woke up to another woman next to him. He said she kissed him and told him that she loves him. When my dad asked her who she was, she just left the room and never saw her again. That's everything I can remember right now. We live in different countries now and we rarely meet, me and my family. But when we do, we talk about it and laugh as if it is a funny thing to talk about. We never knew what was happening, but it was quite an experience. I wanted to tell you guys about a house that my wife and I lived in for a little over a year that we're pretty sure was haunted. Well, I feel it was haunted and my wife would just smile and roll her eyes when I would blame the weird noise or occurrence on the ghost. I feel it should be noted that some of these things could have been real, tangible causes, but it was just so much that it was so unexplained I just don't know. A little bit of backstory. My wife and I moved to Clayton, North Carolina, not far outside of Raleigh, for work and we lived in this house for about a year and a few months. It's a one-story house that sat on a corner lot in a very normal-looking cookie-cutter neighborhood and we didn't get to view it before moving because we had to move so quickly. We had to take what we could get. We have since moved to a new house, but not because of the haunted house I'm telling you about. It should also be noted that this house wasn't old. It wasn't in any way creepy and I think part of its unassuming nature is what made all this stranger. This list may get long. Because I don't recall the order things occurred, I'll just list the instances. 1. Loud crashing sounds. Full disclosure, we had six cats, so we know when we hear things crashing and falling and breaking, it's 99% going to be them. It's just what happens with cats. But in these instances, we'd hear, yes, both my wife and me, what sounded like the most epic of all crashes, but upon searching the entire house, garage included, and absolutely nothing was out of place or broken. This happened a few times at the beginning, and it was really strange. Number two, footsteps in the attic. Yes, you read that right, and that was creepy. In fact, the footsteps were heard so often and so distinctly that when I had maintenance over, I asked him to check if it looked like someone was living up there. 
He said it didn't and that it was probably just natural sounds of the house, but my wife and I begged to differ. One time we were both in the closet hanging up clothes and then stomp, stomp, stomp. We even put our phone on a selfie stick, stood up on a stepladder and recorded what we saw in the attic. We didn't see anything unusual, which I guess is ultimately good, but seriously confused us. Number three, picture fell off the wall. One day I was working from home and chatting with my friends about my haunted house when all of a sudden the picture just popped off the wall. Full disclosure, it was heavier than normal frame, but nothing happened to make it happen, like no loud bangs or disturbances or anything. Just one second it's up there, and the next it's on the floor with the nail still in the wall. Number four, the lighting. I hesitate to put this in here because I really think it's the electrical work in the house, but the microwave light would sometimes flicker. Toward the end of our stay at the house, I changed the light bulb for the porch light and that would flicker like mad, like a strobe light, and then it would just stop and either work right or not at all. One of the guest rooms had bad wiring or something too because the light in there would not turn on or so we thought. One time I left the switch in the on position not realizing it and when we got up in the morning, the light was on. Number 5. The air vent. I'm going to do my best to describe this. We had an air vent that was about 3 feet in height and about 2 feet wide, so it was a decent size and certainly something a person could get into if they weren't overweight. It was located at the bottom of the wall towards the floor. Well, one day we got home and I noticed that the heavy piece of furniture that we had sitting in the front of the vent was scooted out a bit more. I assume my wife had moved it for something, or rather just forgot to put it back in place, but when I asked her, she said she hadn't moved it. Upon further inspection, I noticed the little clasps to the air vent were almost completely gone, like it had been opened. This was creepy too, because my first thought was not, this is a ghost, my first thought was, who's been in my house? My best logical guess could be maintenance, even though I'm pretty sure it'd be close to illegal for them to enter the house without us knowing ahead of time, and it wasn't like the filter was changed. I would think if it were maintenance, the filter would have at least been changed. Either way, that was a bit disturbing. And number six, the whistle. This one scared me the absolute most. My wife and I were in bed and I don't think we were watching TV. I think it was quiet and she was either reading or we were on our phones or something similarly quiet and we both heard a whistle in the hallway closest to the front door but it was definitely coming from inside the house. Because it sounded nearby, it wasn't a long song or anything. It was sort of just a single note, but oh my god, we both just looked at each other terrified. I froze and I'm pretty sure a tear came to my eyes because what is going on? Upon further investigation, there was no one there. No thing there. Nothing was turned on to make the noise. No TVs, no radios, no electronics of any kind. We have no idea what that was, but it was terrifying. I think that's all I have for this one, since moving to our new house, which does actually look older, and like it has more history, we've not had anything strange happen. No crashing, no noises, no flickering lights, so this house is definitely not haunted. Thank you for reading. I've been meaning to write this down for some time, and just never had the time.
I honestly don't know when I stopped dreaming. I have never been entirely fearful of the paranormal, but I haven't been exactly naive to the possible existence of the paranormal. Having grown up in a religious household, the thought of someone coming back from heaven was nonsense. Anything that bothered anyone in this realm of the world was a demon or an angel. No in between. So that is always what I've tried to convince myself to believe. But something about the paranormal has always grabbed my interest, and whether I like it or not, I have some weird feelings that I can't explain. This encounter was no exception. I had lived in a not-so-creepy house or some boring property in the suburbs for the entirety of my childhood with my two younger siblings. Nothing happens out here aside from some soccer moms getting their panties in a twist over nothing. When this happened, I was about 13, my sister was about 10, and my brother was about 5. This night was going on as normal, except for the fact that my little brother was sleeping on the floor of my room. It was around 11pm when we decided to actually start getting ready to sleep. I set my brother's makeshift bed up and I began to notice that my brother was pretty apprehensive. I wrote it off as the dark was making him nervous, so as any big sister would, I told him to lay down and to not worry about the dark. There was nothing to be afraid of, or so I thought. It couldn't have been more than a few hours later when I heard my brother jostling around. Annoyed, I just turned on my side and tried to go back to sleep, but despite my best efforts of blocking him out, this pattern of jostling and staying still went on for probably a few minutes and I started to get frustrated. I even thought of telling my brother to shut up and go back to bed. Then I noticed something odd. He was whispering. Every time he would whisper, he would jostle around. I listened closer, but I couldn't make out what he was saying. Eventually, I poked him from the edge of my own bed and asked him why he was moving around so much. This man keeps grabbing me. My brother whispered frantically. He keeps grabbing my blankie. Well, that caught my attention. I was confused, but it was 3am and the last thing that I wanted to do was console my scared brother. Although I was alarmed at his urgency, I assured him that it was just a nightmare and to try and sleep again. Reluctantly, he laid back down and we began to sleep. But again, I heard that same jostling around. I was really getting fed up with this constant interruption, but before I got the chance to even begin scolding my brother, I soon felt my brother frantically throwing himself under my covers. I was shocked, to say the least, but anger got the better of me. I stared at my brother as he just clenched onto my torso. Samuel, what on earth are you doing? I whispered at my now shaking brother. He was drenched in sweat and burning hot, but something did not seem right about him being this scared of anything. His breathing was choppy, and he was crying, but... He managed to say something to me. The man is back. I felt this massive pit in my stomach form. There was no way this was happening. Samuel, what man? There isn't anyone here. I somehow managed to ask him, despite my own trembling. My brother then froze completely, almost as if on cue my closet door diagonal from where my bed was slammed opened on its own. I stared absolutely dumbstruck by what I had just seen. Before I could even scream or anything, a shadow crawled out of the doorway and made its way closer to my bedroom door, as if it just casually exited. But it stopped right at the foot of my bed. There was no face, hardly any figure, 
just this dark shadow looming over my brother and I, but everything in my body was screaming that this was nothing friendly. I threw myself under the covers just like my brother and did the only thing I could think of doing, pray. I said the Lord's Prayer so fast and so many times that I can't even remember. The entire time, there was this feeling of doom, like something horrible was about to happen. Until morning light, we stayed under those covers, praying that whatever that was would go away. At the first glimpse of light hitting the top of my bed frame, I mustered up the courage to run directly to my bedroom and slam it shut. Of course, we tried to explain to our parents that what happened, well, happened, and unsurprisingly, they didn't believe a word of it. They wrote it off as a fever dream or a nightmare. It's been a few years and my brother doesn't remember a thing, but the thing that doesn't make me want to write this off is that, ever since then, I have been hyper aware of this looming feeling of just bad around my house. I still live in my childhood home. I get nightmares and I really feel incredibly uneasy whenever the lights are out in my house. Who knows what this was, if it is anything at all. But I felt like contributing something. Hey friends, thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe and click that notification bell to be alerted of all future narrations. If you got a story, be sure to submit them to my subreddit, our Let's Read official and give and receive feedback from the community, and maybe even hear it featured here on the channel, and grab early access to all future narrations for just $1 a month on Patreon, and maybe even pick up some Let's Read merch on Spreadshirt, links in the bio. Thanks so much friends, and I'll see you again soon.